and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. edition of the Hagman Report. It is Thursday. You know, I'm going to tell you something, okay, all, well, not all day, just right before airtime, I was talking to John, the producer, and we were having an issue over the dates. It is the 15th day of February 2018, a little, I was getting punked by my crew here. Uh, anyway, you're listening to the Hagman Report, again, Thursday, February 15th, 2018. Welcome, uh, Listen and view live, of course, the show. Go to HagmanReport.com. We stream live over Global Star Radio Network. That's uh, Global Star. Go to HagmanReport.com to watch and to listen, as well as all of the options to download and to view. And, of course, the following day, we put up the uh, full show on YouTube. But for now, we are broadcasting live on the Global Star Radio Network, both uh, Oh, yeah, and you can watch it on Hagman Report, of course. HagmanReport.com. Just click the watch and you can watch the archives via Hagman Report and listen to the archives via Hagman Report. Well, your one stop shop is HagmanReport.com. That's HagmanReport.com. How's that for an introduction? Longer than necessary. Have a great show lined up for you tonight. Boy, I'll tell you, Brandon House is coming on. Anna Kate, Bill Gertz. Bill Gertz, huh? Author of Breakdown, a number of other books and of course a great investigative journalist as well. And then of course uh, Keith Hansen in the last hour. So all that said, we are uh, going to fire right from the top. Joe, let's take it. Let's discover right from the top with respect to the news, huh? Well, uh, what, what do you think? I mean, it, it's uh, I mean, this this shooting. Wow, has dominated the news coverage. Of course, right. As do you think these things happen? They seem to stick around. You know, day, two days, a week, depending on the incident. Now. We have learned a number of things, uh, more so than we have yesterday. Not a, a ton of information, but there seems to be a big difference between the amount of information we're getting from the shooting in Florida yesterday versus what we got in the Las Vegas shooting. And we're learn- we're seeing, you know, social media posts, even though their accounts were scrubbed. We're seeing <clears throat> just all kinds of information. Yeah. We learned that he was adopted, that his mother recently died in 2017 in November, in November. 2017 yep. which yep. they say could be a trigger we've learned that uh, yesterday we learned that he made a YouTube a post under a YouTube video saying he was going to be a professional school shooter the FBI knew about this guy right. the FBI this knew was about reported him to the FBI. what I don't get is the FBI came out today and said that they could not track or identify his IP address through that YouTube post uh, well, which that is not that's, true that's at all not true. Nope. They should be. They, the guy used his name. It's not like he had some random anonymous account with no name tied to it that he started at the library. This was a channel that was up until yesterday. So it wasn't just a random comment by an anonymous user. He was logged into his YouTube account, his YouTube channel, and made a comment six months ago about being a professional school shooter. The FBI has the resources. They obviously followed up with the person who reported it the next day and the the guy said they came they took the screenshot asked him if they knew if he knew the commenter right when he said no they left apparently contacted him again yesterday asked yeah, him right. the same questions took the same information 
and then left. That's right. But they have the ability to track down IP addresses. So, oh, they sure do. If they didn't, if they weren't spending so much time, you know, uh, creating conspiracies against Donald Trump and uh, and Russian bots, maybe they would have time to do their job, which is to you know try to prevent things like this. But the big discussion today, of course, in the news is how do you prevent this going further? And you have the left, and you have the right, and you have the same old talking points that you hear every time one of these. Shootings happens, which makes it so aggravating to, to have to sit and watch the news when these things are, are ongoing. So, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I know you can't have gun control. At the same time, something needs to be done. We've had guns in this country since before its inception, and we never had this problem. It's not a gun today. problem. It's a people problem. Okay, I, I'm so tired of, really, I'm tired of, of these lobotomized liberals going out there and saying we've got a problem with guns, not understanding what the hell the Second Amendment is for. Okay, now, now I'm going to tell you flat out, what, what happened at the Florida school obviously was wrong, but equally wrong, again, are these lobotomized liberals uh, who say, look, we had 18 school shootings uh, this year. Or, oh, really? Oh, really? No, we did not. And you don't count some suicidal guy that pulls into a, a school that's been closed for a number of years and shoots himself after several hours as being a school shooting. All right? You talk about fake news. That's fake news. All right? Even the Washington Post is, uh, has been forced to admit it's fake news. So... All of these, the, you cannot believe anything basically that you're hearing or seeing. Look, what happened at, uh, in, in Broward County yesterday, I believe could have been prevented, but doggone it, this is not a, uh, a problem with guns or too many guns. This is a problem with people. And you know, people are asking, where was God yesterday? Well, we kicked God the hell out of public schools, didn't we? Isn't that, isn't that a fact? Didn't, isn't that what we did? Well, that's what we, I mean, if it's, uh, a spiritual problem, obviously, that's not going to get addressed by politics and the national media. If there are things, I mean, obviously, once they identified who this user on YouTube was who made the comment, if I was the FBI agents in that investigation, one of the first things you do after you find out who it was through their IP address is you flag uh, their ability to buy guns, especially... You can't be joking about being a school shooter. You have to take that seriously. You talk the police officers yep. come out and say, "Oh, we need you know, you the average citizen can have more of an impact with a one-minute phone call if you see something to to let us know than we can have as law enforcement officers in you know a month or two." And he's he's right to a degree, but when people do reach out and do try to report what they see, and then they see these authorities who don't follow up with it and don't do anything with the information, whose fault is this? And there were obviously a lot of red flags we talked about yesterday, being expelled from school, uh, history of threats, fighting, bullets were found in his backpack, uh, the comments, the, the pictures on social media. So there were all the indicators were there. Even the survivors who were interviewed said, well, if it was going to be anybody, this is the person we suspected it was going to be. So there's no excuse, really, at the end of the day. And it's uh, we're we're learning a little bit more about how That's right. uh, he also escaped the school by pretty much tossing his gas mask and his gun and sneaking out with other students before the police started pulling kids out of the school. He was arrested about what a mile away, and he was in court today. And I don't know how many people saw or heard the attorney. I, no, who I didn't represent him, hear that. but 
oh, he's just misunderstood, and he wasn't loved enough, and he didn't have that compassion as a child, and as she had his, her hand on his back, and it was, so, um, so, you know, okay. she was doing her job, I guess, but... Well, well, well I, yeah, I, I, obviously, any criminal is, is uh, or any accused uh, is... Um, should have adequate representation, legal representation, but, but my goodness, uh, making excuses like that. Um, okay. Well, you know, in that case, we should have a school shooting on just about every block and every day, uh, given that, that excuse. My goodness. All right. We have, uh, former President Obama who issued a tweet today, uh, with, in, in talking about the shooting. We are grieving with Parkland, but we are not powerless. Caring for our kids is our first job. Until we can honestly say that we're doing enough to keep them safe from harm, including long overdue common sense gun safety laws that most Americans want, then we have to change. Wait a second. Don't we have common sense gun laws right now? How many gun laws are on the books? Wait a second here. We're, and we're the first comment with, uh, from a Pete C. replying to Barack Obama, why didn't you implement these laws during your eight years as president? 140-plus school shootings during your tenure. What did you do to stop this from happening? Well, first of all, he, hey, Pete, uh, the, you're the, right on the money. No, no, no. The, the president does not make laws. No, right? but, I mean, you know, uh, Obama being a, a Monday morning quarterback after being in power for eight years, implementing Obamacare, Doing a number of things through executive orders that weren't That's necessarily true. legal. I'll give you has that. a lot of gall to come out and and try to uh, blame other administrations or anybody else for things he thought should have been done, where he really had the power to get them done, whether they were right or wrong, constitutional or not. You, you know, the, the, to me that 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 shows a lack of gravitas. That shows a that shows a lot of hubris for him to come out and and, and tweet something like that. You talk, you talk about playing politics with a with a tragedy. Well, there it is, Exhibit A. And that's one of the uh, worst things honor. about this: um, <clears throat> the political games that are played on the news. Saw it all morning. I was talking in the studio here before we went on air. CNN this morning. I, I had it on in the background, and you heard. Uh, a number of people saying a number of things from Chris, Chris Cuomo saying, oh, it's not too early. Anybody says it's too early to talk about gun control, it's BS, and on and on and on. We saw uh, the same talking points from the media the night before. There were even some some really interesting, uh, I'm going to go to Newsbusters, there were some really interesting ones, people who said the Second Amendment was a, a, a death cult with a suicide pact on it. Um, I mean, we've lost the, the, the. I'll tell you what, the population collectively have lost their minds. And I want to thank Bob and Maggie. Bob, thank you for your service as a police officer, uh, commissioned police officer. Thanks for the email. Um, and we we had a guest on last night, Jim Lencia, talking yeah. about a downtown white cop. And, and of course, you know, right away, YouTube sees that that headline, and and oh, you can't you you can't put that up. And of course, being censored all across the internet. Downtown White Cop, really? Are, are you serious? It was a great interview. Yeah, it was a great interview. <laughs> but, but see, that, that that's old time policing. That's what we need to to have. Uh, that, you know, yeah. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. I'm no, just frustrated, really frustrated today with, right. with all this stuff. And uh, folks, if you missed that interview, go back and listen to hour two, and the standalone segment. Uh, we'll make sure it's up tonight. But Jim Lancia, downtown, downtown White, White Cop, White yep. Cop. Yep. He's the author of that book, and he's uh, an old time cop. Real tough guy. It's not politically my correct. 
Yeah. And uh, talks about what it was like to police in those days and what some of the problems that we have seen with militarization of police as well as the political correct movement that is dictating policy in police they, departments. They didn't have a tank or, you know, MRAPs back then. <laughs> right. and, 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 you know, he said he wouldn't even wear vests unless the FBI told him to wear vests when he was kicking down doors for raids. Right. I mean, I'll tell you what, uh, those vests were cumbersome. Uh, or at least they were. I don't know. But, but um, anyway. I, I want to go back to this. This is interesting on uh, about MSNBC. MSNBC touts pro-abortion Democrat yeah. declaring our babies are being slaughtered, demonstrating a staggering lack of self-awareness. MSNBC congressional correspondent Garrett Hawk promoted pro-abortion Democrat Camilla Harris, who said, we have to get smart about gun safety laws. We cannot tolerate a society and live in a country with any level of pride when our babies are being slaughtered. The reporter hailed liberal lawmaker for expressing moral outrage while demanding gun control in the wake of the tragic Florida school shooting. The question is, can that level of outrage be sustained and can it be translated into anything on Capitol Hill? Uh, she so, said, so wait a second. her own question. You have a lunatic liberal lobotomized, lunatic lobotomized liberal progressive. Abortion-loving Progressive, right. talking about we can't live in a society with pride when they're slaughtering our babies. And one side of her mouth talking about gun control. I was going to say, and then the other side of her mouth yeah. will promote Planned Parenthood, abortion, and baby murder mm. as though it is some kind of uh, moral right of women. Hmm. So uh, how does that you work? Get. All right. The uh, and again, uh, there's so many stories on the media's reaction to these shootings. And it is, um, you know, you get angry uh, to watch oh, some I, of this stuff. I, I tell you what, I couldn't even do. I couldn't even look at Twitter. I, the, 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 the the amount of people on there. So our local fourteen hundred channel, uh, when we leave the studio, it, it usually was. And I don't know if this starts at nine o'clock or ten o'clock. But Dave Ramsey used to be on. Yeah. Now they put Alex Jones on. On fourteen hundred. On fourteen hundred. So uh, this this the last two nights I've noticed it, and last night when I was coming home. They had a piece with Tucker Carlson, and he talked about how, and this was Jones' show playing a clip from Tucker Carlson's show, and Tucker Carlson did a report on CBS International paying over 60 airports in the U.S. to air their their uh, feed, their CNN feed, and they pay airports anywhere from 100000 to $500,000 plus maintain their TV equipment in order to play CNN in these in these locations. And he was interviewing Roger Stone, and they asked the question, how much would you have to be paid to watch CNN on a regular basis? And I'm thinking, oh, gee, all right, smart. I, I watch it for free pretty much. But that made me think, how much would I have to be paid to watch CNN as my exclusive news source? And it would be a lot of money. Well, it would be in the millions every year. I'll tell you what. That'd be... But they pay Can airports. Can they award damages? I mean, <laughs> They pay airports. And the one airport was Minneapolis, where they paid something like one hundred fifty or five hundred thousand dollars plus the cost of all the TVs, the maintenance, so, and okay. But that's the story. Because so you're telling me that that CNN, the network, pays the airports. Mm-hmm. They have sixty so, okay. airports in contract, where right. they not only paid for the TVs that they're played on, and the maintenance for the TVs, and the right or the the privilege to play CNN there, and they also pay a, a fee on top of that. So. Okay, now if CNN it's airports, are, are, are there any other? Are there, are there, oh, I'm sure there are. I mean, what about hospitals? Doc- what yeah, about hospitals, doctor's office, uh, you know, blood banks, anywhere you go where where a TV's on and the, the TV is on the news, it is usually on CNN. 
I bet there's a lot more deals behind the scene than we than we really understand. And what does it say about a network that has to pay people to watch it? And how are they sustainable if that's the case? Uh, that's a good point. And you know, I, I look. I, I think of our operation here. We don't pay people to watch. We pay to broadcast, and then people, of course, come on to sponsor our program uh, if they so choose. But the bulk of 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 our support comes from from uh, uh, Patreon members, PayPal, from donations from from people who do watch and uh, think well enough to support our program. Otherwise, if we did not have public support, we would close tomorrow. If everyone stopped. Everyone who's supporting us stops supporting us. We close tomorrow. So you're looking at, at a, a network who's actually paying. I'm, I'm still trying to get this wrapped around my head. You're actually looking at a network paying airports. And uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know why this is talking about me. six figures at least per airport. Wow. Okay. Per year. Uh, however, it's done. We'll have to, I will make a, a note to make sure that we, wow, man, we dig up incredible. that segment and we get those numbers and we make sure that uh, we follow through with this because. As you said, I'm sure it doesn't stop with the airports there, and it doesn't stop in, with American airports, I'm sure, either. And that's true. And see, they've got seen international. They've got different branches. But before we bring our guests on, I just want to mention tonight's program. Speaking of sponsors, brought to you by SeatGeek. Go to SeatGeek.com. Folks, um, just download the SeatGeek app. Download the SeatGeek app and enter our promo code Hagman, H-A-G-M-A-N-N, today. That's promo code Hagman for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code Hagman for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. More on that later. I'm going to kick it over to you. We can bring our first guest on. Yeah, we have with us from WorldViewWeekend.com, Brandon House. He's going to be talking about his insights in the latest on the shooting, as well as anything else he wants to get well, into. He's got, he's got some good stuff coming up. We have some announcements here. So, Brandon, welcome back to the show. Great to be with you guys. Thank you. Wow. Great to have you. Where Great do you want to start you. tonight? Well, this shooting in Florida is very troubling. I dealt with it for the whole hour on my broadcast today at worldviewradio.com and the stations that carry it, and my producer said he'd never seen the phone lines light up so fast, so quick. They stayed filled the whole time. Uh, we're going to have to continue it tomorrow. But the main issue I'm stating is the reason we don't have secure schools is because the taxpayers don't want secure schools. If the taxpayers wanted secure schools, we'd have secure schools. What's very troubling to me is all the politicians running to the microphone flapping their gums, and none of them are offering any legitimate solutions. Not one have I heard yet. I hear a lot of platitudes. I hear a lot of uh, politically correct statements. I don't hear any legitimate market-driven solutions. I hear a lot of things that are very dangerous, the idea of, well, we need to do more mental evaluations on people. Uh, maybe the ones we need to start doing some mental evaluations on are some of these elected officials saying these foolish things. But what they're doing is setting a trap for conservatives, as though we need more gun laws to stop conservatives who largely obey the law from getting more guns by psychoanalyzing them so that we can deem them to be crazy and not able to get guns. Don't forget the Department of Homeland Security during Obama administration uh, deemed as potential terrorist military veteran uh, veterans, uh, those who are pro-life, those who are interested in Bible prophecy, those who are concerned about national security, the borders, illegal immigration. Yes, Bible prophecy. If you are if you're concerned about for the pro-life issues, these are all potential terrorists according to the Department of Homeland Security. So th- all this talk about running around profiling people and their psychological. 
um, uh, worldview is dangerous. Don't forget it was Sigmund Freud, the father of modern-day psychology that I write about in my book, Great Influence, that largely said the only sane individuals were the ones that people call crazy because they had not denied their natural inclinations towards the lust of killing, uh, cannibalism, and incest. Sigmund Freud said those are the sane people, the ones who carry out their natural inclinations for the lust of killing, cannibalism, and incest. Uh, the ones that are crazy were the people who had suppressed those natural inclinations, Christians. So again, the last thing you want is the government trying to decide now who is uh, mentally stable, who's not, when most of the crackpots are the ones in the elected, elected officials' positions, in my opinion, many of them. Some good ones, but a lot of them are nuts. Why, who, wanted, who wants to go into that job anyway, except for a bunch of narcissistic individuals, largely? Uh, and many of them don't even understand what is the purpose of government anyway. So this is setting a trap, all these people running around talking about mental stability, as though someone who's crazy is going to obey more laws. Secondly, uh, the taxpayers clearly don't want secure schools, because if they did, there would be market-driven solutions that would solve this problem. Let me give you an example. In the community where I live right now, they're building a high school. It will be a high school that will cost $93.5 million. $93.5 million dollars. I live in a, in a suburb outside of Memphis, Tennessee. The local um, commercial appeal writes that it will have a 3,000 seat gymnasium with two practice gyms. 3,000 seat gymnasium with two practice gyms because God forbid we just have one. We, you know, we, need, we need two practice gyms. The infrastructure will have a wireless network for uh, an initiative called one-to-one. -one. Each student will have a device like a laptop to use in classes, connecting with teachers, smart boards, and monitors. Fewer textbooks will be needed. There'll be no lockers. And they decided kids don't largely use lockers anymore. And then the article says security is of less concern. Security is less of a concern because students won't need to leave the building unless going to the nearby athletic facility, which includes a 5,000-seat football stadium and field office. Now, what is happening in our community? Housing prices are going up. This is going to be one of the most expensive schools in the state of Tennessee when it's done. And a lot of parents fleeing the crime-ridden schools are selling their homes and they're moving into the community I live into. And because of where the high school is being built, there is some land available around it. Um, builders are coming in and they're building half a million dollar plus homes and families are moving in and they'll be within walking distance of this beautiful brand new high school. Now see, this is all market driven. Now the politicians love this because they get to build a $93.5 million school, they get to add a 3,000 seat gymnasium with two practice gyms, they get to have a 5,000 seat football stadium, and all the parents, a lot of parents go, wow, I want my kid to go to that school. They move to town, housing prices go up, property taxes go up, drives more money to the politicians so they can spend it how they want. Now, what is driving a lot of this in the South particularly is sports facilities because football is, you know, the god for most of them. Uh, and so football is so wonderful. We have to, you know, have more painted uh, grass for overweight uh, kids. We feed massive amounts of calories so they're big enough to push other overweight kids over on painted grass. And this is all the all the craze. And I get that for football people who like football. I particularly am not crazy about football. Uh, I'm not crazy about the people that play professional football. Most of them, in my opinion, are, are thugs. Most of them are broke within three years uh, of retiring. But we glorify these guys while we, while we mock the military. And these guys won't even take uh, 
uh, stand up for the military, but we make heroes out of these people on the field. So parents have bought into this culture of entertainment. They want the best and uh, most expensive sports stadiums for their high school kids, and so they run to the schools that have them. So the politicians give them what they want because, again, it drives people to those communities, drives up housing, uh, drives up property tax, and everybody's happy, right, including the million-dollar AstroTurf in some of these communities to play soccer on. Now, when the parents decide they want safe schools, the market will drive for safe schools. And I contend that within a week or so, the news cycle will change, they'll be onto another story, and this will happen again and again, and most parents will say, well, it hasn't happened in my community, it's probably not likely to happen in my community, and therefore, most communities will do nothing. Until there is such a tsunami that it becomes a market-driven problem with a market-driven solution, which means parents will then say, I could care less about the big, fancy $100 million sports complex, as in Katy, Texas, we'll look at here in a minute. Uh, I would rather send my kid to no, a school with no sports stadium, but that is highly secured, meaning there is a perimeter around the school. You can't get over the fence. It need be barbed wire around the fence, and there's a security guard who is properly trained and armed out front, and nobody gets through the checkpoint, just like you would have at a well, secured facility for the military or for national security or your your governor's mansion in your state. When the parents decide their school security for their kids is worth that, you will see private schools and then eventually public schools catering to that market demand. Then you will get these kind of schools. Till then, the American people will continue to demand the kind of schools they want that are mostly state-of-the-art facilities for sports. So number one, this is market-driven. Number two... Uh, we'll pick up on, but I want to stay on this one. But the second one is the psychological uh, issue. The, what is really driving a lot of these school shooters is the psychotropic drugs they're on. But I think first, to show how serious this is, if we have the clip, let's look at how Katy, Texas, and they're one of many examples, have spent millions of dollars on a football stadium that rivals a college stadium. Well, we see... Wait a second. And, of course, that school official is going to tell you he's not keeping up with the Joneses. I, I, in my opinion, he's not telling the truth, and I think he knows it. That's my opinion. He knows he's exactly keeping up. Look at all the other school districts that are building 60, 68, $72 million stadiums. Of course, they're trying to keep up with the next school district because this is what drives kids to their schools because it's all about how many fannies are in the seat because the more fannies in the seat, the more state dollars you get. So this is all being market-driven, and the parents are feeding into it because the parents are saying, ooh, how great and wonderful this is, and they're buying right into it. When the parents feel that the security of their children and the taxpayers feel that the security of their children is worth it, you'll see a market solution to this as well. But until then, we'll continue to see what we're seeing. And, Brandon, you're right. The uh, the high school sports, and especially football, especially in Texas, is just out of this world compared to anything else in this country really in the high school level but even here we have we go through the same thing you have new stadiums being built all the time five ten million dollars four million dollars whatever and you're right even professional stadiums it seems that the taxpayers end up footing the bill but why not i mean uh why not that there are so many different things that can be done and you know many people have said train teachers to be armed and put them through different security type protocol they say they can also have veterans retired veterans volunteering to you know be armed security guards there are many things that can be done and even we know that uh some of the things with the background checks my question is 
why with this student using his YouTube account, his YouTube channel that was shut down yesterday, was he able to comment saying he was going to be a professional mass shooter and the FBI saying that they can't find him? Why did every student who was interviewed apparently already uh, took a guess that this is, was the kid? He was expelled. I mean, it seems like all the red flags were there, and the people who were supposed to see something then say something did so. It seems that the authorities fell short on this one. But Absolutely. The see something, say something. Well, a lot of kids said something. That the kid was ordered not to bring a backpack to school. Uh, they knew all about him. They were very concerned about him. And yet, what did you have? The school goes to get out, and boom, uh, he knows there's the access to all the kids uh, with the uh, hustle and bustle of school getting out. Uh, I heard a report that the one school resource officer, and if that's true, they only had one school resource officer there, a perfect example, uh, 3,000 kids in that school, is that what I heard? Uh, three stories in that yeah, building? Yeah, it was the, one of the biggest high schools in Florida. And you got one school resource officer in the building? That's what I've heard. Now, if that's if, if there was more than one, uh, I'll stand corrected, but the last report I heard was one. That's just stupid. Again, these people are not taking seriously the threat from... ISIS, Islamic Revolutionary Guard, the Marxists, the Muslims, uh, the groups that have already stated that they want to do something. Uh, we have found, there has been reported the blueprints of high schools in America found overseas. People have forgotten about Bezlan. If they type in Bezlan, school shooting, they will find that many years ago, the Muslims did this in Russia and killed over 300 people, I believe the figure was, and many of them children. Now, we began reporting on this in 2007 and 2008 on radio. Now, you can go back into our archive of our shows at situationroom.net, and you will find in 2007, 2008, we were interviewing people on this problem, stating that these schools had better get up to speed, because not only are we talking about ISIS, we're also then talking about just the random school shooters, these kids, these kids who have a culture of death. The video games they play are far too realistic. The movies they watch are just absolutely over the top. I, I don't watch those kind of films, but I have deliberately gone and sought out some video clips of some of them over the years to see just how violent they are. They're, there is nothing redeeming about them. They're absolutely just glorifying the most debased, demonic uh, kinds of killing and torture and yet this is what these kids have their minds filled with, which, by the way, some of the kids have shown some emotion while being interviewed on TV about it, but I'm stunned at the number of them showing no emotion and talking about stepping over bodies and lots of blood, and they just report on it. Even some of the reporters have said, you know, how remarkably calm you are about this. Well, I think our kids have been desensitized. So maybe these uh, politicians that all come to the mic and start flapping their gums about stupid things like, well, we need to do mental checks on American people before they buy guns, that's not going to solve the problem of someone getting a gun if they want to get a gun or using a car to run people down or using a knife or explosives. If you want to talk about the mental condition, let's talk about the movies they consume. Let's talk about what's going on in the homes of some of these people and some of these kids. Let's talk about the FBI maybe doing their job when someone does say something and reports, as a guy in Mississippi did, that this kid with his name came on his blog last fall and said he wanted to be known as being a successful school shooter. The man contacted the FBI. The FBI called him. They followed up with him. But they say they could not find this kid, even though he was right. using his real name. I don't believe it for one minute. I don't believe it for one minute that the federal government could not work with Google, track down the IP address, and trace it back to this kid who's using his real name. Because it's reported that within 30 minutes of him being apprehended, 
The FBI was on the phone with the man who had made this report out of Mississippi. Now, if they were able to connect all those people in 30 minutes of having this kid apprehended, again, that, that, I don't believe it for one minute. But then again, when a pro-Muslim guy on his website 10 plus years ago was spewing all this Islamic garbage on his blog, uh, trashing on me nonstop because of my exposing of Islam, and posting pictures of my young children in elementary school, encouraging one of my kids to take me out shooting and shoot me in the back and make it look like an accident, when I contacted the FBI office in St. Louis, where this man lived and lived at the time, um, they reviewed it and called me back and said, no, there's nothing we can do. They didn't even bother to go out and interview him. Uh, when we had a man come into our Christian conference, our Worldview Weekend in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, in April of 2017, uh, with a Quran and filmed the crowd in his Quran uh, while I was speaking, and then our off-duty police officers we hired approached him, and he had two weapons. They escorted him out of the building, as you remember. He sat out in his car and made a Facebook Live video. All of these were on Facebook Live. We have them and brandished five weapons, including two semi-automatic rifles and 1,200 rounds of ammunition, telling me and my, my friend, the former Muslim, now Christian pastor, Sharam Hadian, to be afraid and be terrified every time he flashed a weapon. Uh, it took 12 days to get him charged. We have this police spokesperson from Sioux Falls on camera before the press saying he wasn't going to be charged. The man had not broken any laws. Well, terroristic threats... That is breaking the law. Finally, after we brought international news to it, thanks to your help and others, um, it, he was charged federally and at the state level. But they weren't, they didn't do anything for 12 days. The point is this. See something, say something. People do, nothing happens. But now I hear a guy on the news today saying, uh, well, if you, one of the police guys down there in Florida, if you notice your neighbor coming in with groceries day in and day out, and all of a sudden his pattern changes and you notice him now coming in with a bag of ammunition to his house, call us. Really? So now it's illegal to buy ammunition to bring into your house? Really? But when people call you and tell you a guy has just made a terroristic threat with semi-automatic rifles and 1,200 rounds in his car, oh, he didn't break any laws. When a guy is telling uh, you know, your, your kids online, take your dad out hunting and shoot him in the back because he doesn't like the stuff you're saying about Islam, well, we can't go interview him. Uh, or when ISIS creates an 800, uh, uh, several thousand member list of supposed targets in America, you call the local FBI office and say, hey, as a broadcaster and someone who covers ISIS, is my name on the list? The FBI says, we can't tell you. If your name is on the list, we could not tell you. If we felt you were at risk, we'd let you know. Oh, well, that makes me sleep better at night. So again, they're dropping the ball, they're not doing their job, but instead of taking responsibility, now they're going to put more laws onto the American people who do obey the laws. Now they want you to have some kind of mental psychological test, and as soon as they ask you if you're pro-life, uh, you're interested in Bible prophecy, uh, you uh, are concerned about national security and the borders, well now you meet the very definition of a potential terrorist according to the Department of Homeland Security document put out during the, during the Obama administration. If you want to talk about mental security or mental stability... By the way, done by uh, Robert Mueller. I just want to add that level yes. of uh, Robert Mueller, the OIC. Yeah, that's who it is. Go ahead, Brennan. I and didn't if you mean want to talk about uh, the next clip, queuing your guys in your control room, if you want to talk about uh, mental stability, let's talk about starting to prosecute perhaps some of these folks that are passing out psychotropic drugs like candy, which is what triggers a lot of these kids. But that's not about to happen because a lot of the politicians come to the microphone flapping their gums with their stupid platitudes and politically correct slogans. Um, their, their campaigns are bought and paid for, I believe, by many of these uh, pharmaceutical companies. You really think a lot of the members of Congress whose campaigns are funded 
reportedly by a lot of these pharmaceutical companies that put out these psychotropic drugs and get these kids on them and pass it out like candy are now going to be the same members of Congress that investigate the psychotropic drugs being passed out like candy? Well, here is a psychiatrist I interviewed a few years ago who's written some best-selling books. He is a psychiatrist, but he's not very well-liked. His name is Dr. Peter Brigham. He was interviewed by Fox News a few years ago. I've interviewed him as well. You guys maybe have interviewed him. But listen to what he says about these psychotropic drugs and their connection to school shootings. You notice he says psychiatry is the problem. And he, at the beginning of that interview, rattled off a lot of the leading drugs, antidepressants these kids are on. And his whole practice, Dr. Peter Bregman, his whole practice is largely about helping to get these people down off these drugs, to limit their uh, dosage. And he, in the, when I interviewed him, he talked about the fact that eventually he can get them down to a certain level and they have to leave them there. Some of these folks, he can never get them totally off these drugs because if they do, then they're going to have a psychotic episode. But it's the drugs that have created, for many of them, the, the, the psychosis. In other words, they take a drug, it has a side effect, you take another drug to cure that side effect, and then you've got your, you got yourself a real problem. Now, some of these people, they get on them, and then they go cold turkey on them, and then they also have these psychotic episodes. This young man supposedly was under some kind of professional psychiatric care, according to a report I read today, and then stopped going. And the officials reportedly understood and knew this. So, again, where's the see something, say something part of this? Again, I think the officials dropped the ball at many levels. Um, but if he, I'd like to know, was he on a psychotropic drug? I'd also like to know, was he still on it? What was it? How long was he on it? And if he wasn't on it any longer, when did he stop taking it? Because as Dr. Peter Bregman will tell you, a lot of times when these folks start stop taking these drugs, that creates a real problem as well, which is why he has to help them decrease the amount that they're taking, eventually has to leave them on a certain minimum dose. But that's what his whole career is about, is getting them off these drugs. That's why the psychiatry uh, industry does not like him. This is a pharmaceutical problem, a psychiatry problem, and you heard that from a psychiatrist. And you go on YouTube, type in Dr. Peter Bregan, and uh, you'll find all kinds of videos by him explaining this in greater detail. This whole method... You have, a, you have a chemical imbalance, and therefore we need to give you this drug. There's What test do you take for, to prove that chemical imbalance? He has said there is no such thing. It is the psychotropic drugs that are doing this to these kids. It's a money-making industry. You really think the politicians that are flapping their gums over this are going to propose real solutions? Not when many of them are having their campaigns funded by the very pharmaceutical companies pumping these drugs into these kids. So here we are talking about uh, psychological evaluations. Well, again, if you want to talk about the psychological idea of it, side of it, great, let's do that. It's called psychotropic drugs. Instead, what they want to do is use this as an opportunity, I believe, to start psychoanalyzing conservatives so you can label them as nuts, you can take their guns away, or keep them from getting them. So again, market-driven. When the taxpayers and the parents want secure schools, you'll have them. Till then, you will not get them. Just as the parents are demanding state-of-the-art technology in the schools and the premium of sports stadiums, that's what they get. One district competes with another, and they respond accordingly, market-driven, and they give the taxpayers that, and that's what's driving those schools and those increase in schools and property taxes and the uh, sell, selling prices of homes. So it's a market-driven solution. When the market wants it, they'll get it. Until the market wants it, they won't get it. So if parents don't want secure schools then just keep telling the politicians what it is you want, fancy schools with all the greatest technology and sports facility, and that's what they'll give you. When you demand with your dollars by walking 
uh, your kids to a school that provides security, and they start losing those fannies in the seats, which is how they get their money, counting how many noses are in the seats, nickels and noses, then you'll start having market-driven solutions. Till then, you won't. So number one, market-driven solutions. When the population demands it, they'll get it. We're getting what we have now because the population isn't demanding security for the schools, I believe. Secondly, when they do take seriously the psychological problem of these kids, largely from, I believe, them being on psychotropic drugs, then you can start addressing the problem. Then, of course, we have the issue of the fact that we have social media and these kids are not connected with families and influences. Uh, study what came out this week on the news. A few years ago when you would ask people, how many people would you call in a crisis, they could say four or five people. If there's a crisis in your life, how many people could you call? Four or five. The report I heard the other day on the news was most people today say zero. If they have a crisis in their life, they have zero number of people they can call. So we are not having a society that is attached to other people so that when there's a problem, people can go and talk it out, work it out with their pastor, uh, their elder at their church, uh, you know, someone that leads a, their Bible study at their church for men or a Bible study at their church for women or their youth pastor. People are not being connected. Social media is not helping that. Then you add in the death culture with abortion, millions of babies killed since the Roe v. Wade in 1973. We have a death culture. We have it in the video games. We have it in the movies. Again, market-driven. If the families and the teenagers and the college kids weren't going and seeing these movies, there would be no demand for them. So the American people are getting, through a market-driven free market system, what they're asking for. And, Brennan, you covered so much ground here, but let's uh, – the whole pharmaceutical uh, industry and what it is doing to our society, especially young people – We've been talking about this from a number of different angles for a long time, from, you know, two, three to six-year-olds being put on heavy antipsychotic drugs, antidepressants, and ADD drugs like Ritalin, uh, to what we're seeing with these mass shooters, the, uh, uh, I don't know what, I forget the name, the, the name of the type of class of drugs these are, but the antidepressants, the SSRIs, SSRIs, right. And you'll never see this on CNN or hear this on radio stations because so much of the advertising that they sell is to these same pharmaceutical companies. And the doctors, you know, get kickbacks for you know, how many prescriptions they write. And the whole medical industry, as advanced as our Western medical industry is, really is a, a sham because it never cures anything. It only treats the symptoms of it. And this is what modern medicine does. They're like your corner drug dealer. They don't want you to be cured. And that's not what doctors did years ago. You go back and study. I'm not talking conspiracy. Again, it's 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 really in one way the, a free market system and the evil hearts of men. But you go back and check what the Rockefellers and the Rockefeller groups were doing, some of these powerful groups were doing as they were changing the medical schools, where doctors would study nutrition and they would know how to teach someone how to care for themselves through nutrition. What you do, well, you'll start seeing if you go watch the. Uh, uh, documentaries that you'll find on YouTube and places where medical doctors, medical doctors, um, cancer doctors are talking about the fact that when this change began to take place in America many years ago, then we started seeing an increase in all kinds of problems. And the solution to these problems, of course, was not your diet, not nutrition. The solution was drugs. So they had to create something that would then make money and they create the crisis. And so, so again, doctors are not treating people the way they did years ago, which was through common sense, nutrition, and health habits. Now it's give them a pill. And with every pill you give, there's a side effect, so you give another pill. So, yes, until we talk, and you're not, like you said, you're not going to hear this on CNN and other places, I don't think, 
because of who is buying their advertising from them. But, you know, I, I want to make it another concern is that the 1969 guerrilla warfare document, there is a guerrilla warfare document that's online that the Antifa groups were passing out to each other and distributing this past fall as they were really calling for a revolution in America. And I got that and read it, and uh, some of my friends that are in police work and one of my friends who's in, in national intelligence work with the military read it as well. And I was saying on the radio, I'm very concerned, because if you read that 1969 guerrilla warfare report from these communists, they were saying that what they need are two- and three-man shooting teams, two- and three-man shooting teams. Now, look at the numbers of people that were killed in Texas this past November at that church shooting, the, the, the largest massacre at a church in American history last November in Texas. One man, semi-automatic. Now we have one of the largest school shootings in American history yesterday, one man, semi-automatic. Now you add in two and three man shooting teams from groups that are either uh, communist groups, Marxist groups that talk about this kind of thing, ISIS, uh, other uh, militant Islamic groups, terrorist groups, and they have two three-man shooting teams. Um, wow. Look at what this guy did with one 19-year-old, what he did. Imagine two or three-man shooting teams. Now, one school resource officer, again, I've been talking about this since 2007 on our radio program and interviewing people. This Sunday night, I'll be interviewing Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman uh, on our live broadcast at 8 p.m. Central Time at uh, wvwtv.com forward slash briefing. And if anyone wants to get a, a link to it, they just text WVW to 88202, and we'll text them a link before we start Sunday night at 8 o'clock Central. So just text WVW to 88202, and we'll text you a link. David, Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman will be my guest Sunday night, and he's going to talk about the video games, the violence, the culture, an assassination generation that we're raising. But you add in the threat of terrorism as they had in Beslan in Russia, and you add in two and three man shooting teams, one school resource officer is not going to be able to handle this. I'm sorry, don't mean any disrespect. I'm not in the best physical shape at 48, but most of our school resource officers couldn't want to block without being winded. We have got to secure these schools, not only from people who are clearly either bent from a worldview position, white supremacy, you know, uh, Marxist or Islamic groups, we have got to change our thinking on the schools. This is what goes on in Israel. Go and study how Israel handles their schools, the people that are armed in the schools, the people that are trained, and their ability to respond. This idea that you can just walk up to the building and this young man can just go into the building is ridiculous. Uh, we're not learning. These, these grounds should be secure. There's a fence barbed wire at the top so they can't climb over them if necessary and there's a checkpoint and everyone comes in at a checkpoint no one can just walk up onto the grounds uh, or be carried onto the grounds in an Uber and Brandon that's how it is here at the high school that's right near our studio the one I attended uh, they've changed the security procedure to the point where <clears throat> during while well, school's in session only the front door is unlocked and even then, you have to, there's a window, you have to get, you know, buzzed in, I believe, how it is now. And they have security personnel. I don't believe they're armed on on the school grounds. But how does a kid who's not enrolled in that school anymore, you know, walk right in the front doors or wherever he walked into, and, you know, without being stopped or questioned, especially a kid who, 
had already been expelled and is a was a security concern not only by the FBI but by the local uh, authorities in that school and otherwise. I, I just don't get how how that can happen and and maybe uh, the school and more about those uh, security measures or lack thereof will come out in the news. But it just doesn't seem right that he'd be able to walk in through a front door uh, while school's in session. Well, and even these schools that have the ability to buzz you in, if someone has a, a, an AR-15, I don't think it's going to be too hard to shoot out the glass and go on in, right. uh, unless some doors are steel doors and they've really done their job. But when you talk about kids exiting, thousands of kids exiting a school at the end of the day, there's too much going on. There's too much confusion. There's too much to watch. That's not fair to the kids, the teachers. It's not fair to the school resource officer to put them in that position. It's certainly not the parents trying to pick their kids up. So th- most of these facilities are going to have to be a checkpoint facility where anyone coming in has a checkpoint, they have a pass, they have a card, it's slid, maybe a handheld device that the guy at the gate slides, verifies that it's them, however they do it. But nobody can just come on to grounds, uh, certainly not someone like this kid whose picture should have been, I believe, out front at the checkpoint, his picture's there, he does not get on the grounds, you don't get on grounds with an Uber driver or anybody else. And until they start taking security seriously like they do at your your state governor's mansion and other secure buildings, these kind of things are going to continue. And again, the parents are going to demand it. I believe you're eventually going to have to have guys that are former military, I've been saying this again for many, many years, former military, have private companies that are hired, stringent regulations for their hiring, but two- and three-man teams, and people will say, well, you don't have to show the guns to the kids. Look, these kids can more than handle seeing an officer who is um, in his, you know, uh, bulletproof vest and, and SWAT-looking uniform with a semi-automatic around his shoulder. They can handle it. If not, then homeschool them or whatever you do. But this is what goes on in a society that is deteriorated to the point we have. And and you need to have those two or three guys walking around that facility, securing that facility, and until that happens, this is going to continue to happen. But I go back to the point I was making. Uh, when you have when you have two and three man shooting teams, how is one school resource officer going to handle that? Yeah, I mean, there's poorly. There, there's a lot of debate, as we were just Eric was just commenting when you were talking, Brandon, about uh, the teachers' unions and, and different things that would stand in the way of uh, getting guns in schools. But uh, I think it was Hannity who had somebody on who proposed, you know, there are a lot of returning veterans who would volunteer to be in armed posts in in schools and whatnot. But there are so many solutions or possible solutions and so many things that can be put in place and done differently from, you know, looking at mental health and uh, mental health illnesses as well with gun ownership and looking at um, other ways to, in the high school, with teachers, with school personnel, to further prevent these kinds of things. I don't think there, there's not one thing we can do that's going to uh, be an effective uh, No, in a, in a free society, you're never going to eliminate all the risk. But right now, just leaving these schools open for anyone to walk up, as so many of them are, uh, particularly during the confusion of getting going in or coming out, and then again, not, not being willing to address and talk about maybe the psychotropic drugs that are making the problem worse, mm-hmm. uh, and then as well, again, trying to use this as an opportunity, I believe, to start providing mental evaluations of gun owners or potential gun owners, which is just a way for them, I think, to screen out the conservatives getting guns. But then also the uh, reality of uh, when you do see something and you do report it, well, 
They don't even want to go interview the person. They don't want to track it down. I'm not buying that they couldn't have found this guy. But again, um, this is a multi-level approach. But I'm not hearing anyone in an elected position talking about it from any of the standpoints of common sense we've talked about, not one. Yeah, there are a number of things that can be done. And one thing, uh, you know, we saw the church shooter uh, just a few months ago, and we see a number of pastors putting in uh, active shooter drills and, and whatnot, arming themselves with concealed carry weapons. And I think this, you know, it should not be confined to, to churches, but also schools, and teachers aren't going to want to get on board with this. But it, it's something that needs to be done. There needs to be, at least when, if a person's thinking about going to a school and shooting it up, they should think first, well, yeah, there's this armed guy who's there and there and, it's a gun show. What, yeah. Like some of the callers by show today said, have you ever heard of one of these shootings occurring at a gun show? Yeah, never. And then that wouldn't work, not at all. No. Nope. Brandon, we are out of time. I want to thank you so much for coming on. It was a, a very interesting hour, an insightful hour, and we will uh, look forward to having you back. But the website, worldviewweekend.com, and make sure you check out Brandon's show. We thank you so much for spending the time with us tonight. Thank you. All right, we're going to take a network break. When we come back, we have two debut guests, one after the other, Anna, Anna Cott, Anna Kate, thank you, in 8 to 8.30, and Bill Gertz from the Washington Free Beacon, 8.30 to 9. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Brandon House was on just a fantastic, uh, uh, really expose about uh, what we can do about the school shootings and and really what's behind all of that, including the SSRI drugs, the pharmaceuticals, of course, which is not being talked about by the mainstream media. Before we get to our next guest, I want to just welcome again SeatGeek.com. So glad to have them as our sponsors. You know, buying tickets to sports and concerts, it can be complicated. It can be confusing. Just ask me. But there's a better way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest. It's the easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices. I This is fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team, your favorite musician in person. And SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, we, my wife has SeatGeek on her phone, and it's by far the easiest way we've found to shop for tickets. She can shop anywhere, and with just a few taps, can instantly find seats. She's done it for, uh, she's done it for actually my stepson, for her son, and it's amazing to just watch her go at it. Um, she just used SeatGeek to buy tickets to, well, a very special play for a very special date for my stepson and his wife. So that's really cool. I watched her do it, and it was done with ease. Now, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket-buying experience easier than ever. They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And SeatGeek, well, to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, with every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. 
I know my wife does. We've used it. So please, make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, folks, our listeners can get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. That's an extraordinary deal. Just for Hagman listeners, $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just download just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code Hagman today. That's promo code Hagman for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Fantastic company, fantastic service, great app. Again, I watch my wife use it and just loves it. So, uh, but, but that was a very good, uh, discussion about, uh, school security and, and really how the discussion, isn't that interesting how the discussion is being uh, moved away from really what's important to what's not important? It's all about guns. It's not about the, uh, people. No one is really hitting that, that sweet spot and talking about, uh, security for our children. So we have, uh, our next guest, Anna Kate has had a very interesting life. She's earned a living as a professional poker player. <laughs> she was selected to be on the television show Survivor, where she had a life-changing experience that opened her eyes to conservative principles and international politics. Since then, she's hosted her own conservative show and appeared on numerous talk radio programs. She's currently writing a book and working on a documentary film. It's my kind of lady. And her, her website is, uh, it's the California Association of Republican Women. That's uh, CFRW.org. That's CFRW.org. Well, well, yeah, welcome our guest. Anna Kate on social media, A-N-N-A-K-H-A-I-T. Anna, welcome to the Hagman Report. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm such a fan of the show for a long time, so uh, I'm, I'm extremely excited to be here. But I wanted to make a quick note that um, CFRW.org is not my uh, website. I was just speaking at the California Federation of Republican Women in California, so my website is just AnnaKate.com. Just to thank you, AnnaKate.com. <laughs> okay, we I will fix that link, uh, AnnaKate.com. Thank you for that. Uh, wow. Okay. Good. Good. Mm-hmm. Well, well I, I'm I'm so glad you're you're uh, you follow the show. Obviously, we we discuss a wide range of topics. Um, uh, where do we even start? Looking at just the landscape of headlines. I mean, my goodness. Um, but but there's I mean there's so much going on. Um, where, where would you like to start with? Uh, sure. I mean, the level of hypocrisy of the Democrats is jumping on the gun issue instantaneously, talking about you know Kamala Harris, like you were saying earlier, that we should have more stricter gun laws because of the fact that we have all these shootings. Well, you know what? Maybe um, we should talk about the the slaughtering of our children happening with uh, Planned Parenthood. And so they're they're just they're they're complete hypocrites. And you see some of my friends that are liberal that I have good relationships with and I try not to judge them for their opinions. I try to have an open discussion with them. You know, some of my friends tweeting things like, um, you know, get rid of this law. Uh, the Protection of Lawful Commerce and, and Arms Act, which protects firearm manufacturers and dealers from being held liable uh, when when crimes have been committed with their products. And he said, uh, laws rarely solve problems. Capitalism always does. So he's, he's basically saying that we should get rid of this law, that arms deal manufacturers should be held liable, that citizens should have the right, parents of these children have the right to sue these car manu, uh, the, these, um, gun manufacturers, come after them. And, and I, 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 and I'm going back with him, back and forth with him on Twitter saying, this is not capitalism, this is the opposite of capitalism, this is bigger government, and are you going to sue car manufacturers that 
have their cars accidentally kill people. You don't come after the car manufacturers. This is capitalism. It's a free market. They have every right to make cars. They have every right to make guns. And, and it's our legal right to own them. It, it, it's, it depends on, uh, the, the person, you know, the person shoots the gun, the person runs over people, not the gun or the car themselves. So that is something that is just mind-boggling. Every time there's something like this going on, you hear such nonsense from the left, and it's just mind-boggling, especially, you know, having been born in communist Russia, came here to America when I was four years old. The first thing that the Bolsheviks did, socialists did, the first thing that Hitler did, the first thing that Mao did, these communist socialists, the first thing they do is come after the guns. And, you know, one of the first thing the Bolsheviks did after they did come after the guns was that they took all the farmers that were living in Russia that were independent, that didn't care about the government and what they were instituting as communism, socialism. They were able to be de- independent on their own, having their own farms and animals. What the first thing that the Bolsheviks did was that they slaughtered these people, the farmers. And, um, and the first thing that socialists do, you know, they come after the guns. So I'm always wary when we have people in power or people that are in office coming after our weapons. There is a big problem for sure that is rising in this country. But I've been saying this for years, just like you guys have talked about, that we should have security. We should have better security for our schools. I mean, the time during Obama, there were all these school shootings nonstop. There should have been security. And it's funny that, that again, the, the, the Democrats and liberals are so hypocritical when they start talking about the fact, well, um, we can't afford that. That's our tax money. Really, we can't afford helping and securing our children, but we have the funds to actually slaughter innocent children. Sixty million have died under you know, the, you know, after Roe v. Wade. That, that's not a, that's a priority, slaughtering our children, but actually protecting our living children as well is not a priority for the Democrats. There's always this, there's always this hypocrisy from the left, and it's a, ugh, it's just, thank God for social media, but at the same time, it's a bit frustrating. Yeah, it's, it, indeed you know? it is. Yeah, I, I, I was, I had to actually just step away from the computer when I was looking at the uh, social networking feeds. Um, the, the question, where was God? Uh, during this shooting. Well, well, you know what? We, we kicked God out of, out of schools. I mean, it, 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 it's exactly. just frustrating. What would you do, um, to, if you were in charge of everything, I mean, how would you fix this? And is this, whatever this is, is this fixable, do you think? I do think it's fixable. Um, I agree with your previous guest, Brandon. I completely agree with him that there should be better security getting into the schools. There shouldn't be such easy access to come into the schools. You know, unfortunately, this is the time where we might have to go to barbed wire. I mean, it's unfortunate, but there's nothing you can do now. There's this is we have to protect our children. I mean, the answer is not stricter gun laws. I live in New York, which I'm thankfully moving soon. It is impossible to get a gun. It takes about six to seven months. The process is just it's 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 un, it's just uncanny the process you have to go through to be able to have your Second Amendment right. And stricter gun laws. We have pretty strict gun laws already on the books. We have you know you you can't be a felon to have a gun. You have a background check. How about we start enforcing those laws? So number one, I would say. FBI, CIA, all you guys are investigating. We should be investigating these uh, potential gunmen and stop looking into fake 
stories, you know, and, and legal phone calls that, you know, Michael Flynn had. Maybe start focusing on actual perpetrators that are able to commit crimes against our citizens and stop coming after the citizens who legally have a gun, who are law-abiding citizens, who have never been a, a terror threat. And I think that the, so there's enforcing the laws. That's number one, very important for the FBI to do their, to do their job. But number two, especially by the way, the fact that the FBI were notified nine months ago and actually went to go visit this YouTuber who has told the FBI, hey, listen, there is someone commenting on my live video saying that they are going to be a future star, uh, you know, mass shooter, school shooter, and they interviewed this individual and and did not follow through. I mean, said that they couldn't track the, the kid, even though he used his real name as um, under, at the comment on the comment. But there's so there's enforcement of laws, and there's also the importance of guarding our schools. I mean, I've been saying this for years. I've been saying that we need to have better security. We need to have at least two, three armed security around our schools, potentially probably have metal detectors. I mean, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. We had metal detectors. I wasn't afraid to go to school because I knew that we had metal detectors and we we were secure in my school. You weren't allowed to bring knives. You weren't allowed to bring guns. We weren't even allowed to bring in cell phones, which I think is a little just, you know, a little iffy because God forbid there was an emergency should be reached. But I I think there should be much more stricter um access to the school. I think that there should be metal detectors, but I definitely think we can use the help of trained vets that are, you know, homeless and have, have are looking for work and love children and want to protect our children. But there's this, of course, bash that the left does with our vets, saying they're dangerous, they have PTSD, they have all these issues, you know, they 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 there are terrorists in our country. I mean, this is it's it's sad the narrative that the left uses with our vets, but they're absolutely loving, amazing people. I mean, it's like for example, my brother-in-law who loves this show, Jan. He um, definitely tuning. He's he's a he's an ex you know he's a veteran. He's an ex cop, and he agrees. There's so many people that are jobless and homeless that would love to have an, an, a, a job to protect our children. So absolutely. there's important. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes it, it just makes sense that we could do so much more than what we're doing, and um, my goodness, to shut these uh, lobotomized liberals up. I'm sorry, but I just I, it just it, it just boggles the mind um, to to see and to hear what they are saying and 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 such. But if if I can kind of turn the spotlight, if we can turn the spotlight on onto you, because you're an amazing person, by the way, you're immensely wild, uh, immensely a popular. Um, uh, YouTube uh, channel show, Anna Kate show, which of course, well, you kind of, like we did, we got put into jail, banned, thrown off YouTube, whatever you want to call it. Of course, because, you know, we're not politically correct. Um, now having said that, you had a, you, you were, you were uh, on the television show, or you were selected to be on the TV show Survivor, and you had a life-changing experience. Now, John Teesby, our, our producer, teased me a little bit with this story. Can you you, you feel like sharing the um, sharing the particulars about that? Sure. Um, it's actually, I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting life changing experience that I had with Survivor. But specifically, I think. Um, so where do, I, where do I start? So basically, I have been a liberal atheist my whole entire life. Um, funny enough, because I was raised with a with a 
a hate in my heart for socialism, communism, because of what happened to my family, what happened to my ancestors, and um, you know what they've been through, and the stories that I've heard growing up. But I was indoctrinated with all these liberal ideas through school, so you know, public school system. My parents didn't have a lot of money growing up, so I went through the public school system in Brooklyn and have been fully indoctrinated with the socialist liberal ideas. And so um, I, it was it was the time when I went on Survivor. I was a professional poker player. I decided to take a you know, some time off from, I was going to go to medical school. Um, I took some time off to play poker for a living, which, which I did really well and I really enjoyed it. I usually follow my passions, whatever is on my heart, I will follow. So that was on my heart. And, um, and so I applied for Survivor, which I don't watch a lot of TV, nor do I watch reality TV, but Survivor has always been a show that I really, really loved and was very similar to poker. It's a strategy game. I'm competitive and, and, you know, it's all about awareness and all that. So I loved the show. So I luckily enough got on the show. And then when I got back home, I, I didn't realize it then, but I realized I understand now that God cleansed me because again, I was an atheist. You know, God cleansed me of my obsession with poker and obsession with survivor. And for some weird reason, got really involved and into politics. And this was also 2015 when Donald Trump started running in the, uh, on the campaign trail. And I started ordering books and I started, uh, watching a lot of, um, you know, alternative media, yourself, um, a bunch of different shows and started getting red pilled. And it was, it was a process. And I actually remember when I, uh, went to go visit my brother in Washington and I asked him, I said, you know, is this stuff all real? Is this true? What's happening? He said, Anna, it's actually worse than that. And so I had a panic attack when I actually got red pilled, but little by little by little, I started digging more and more and I came upon, you know, the whole pedophilia rings in this country and how it goes all the way to the top, the famous story, Noreen Gosh story. And slowly started digging more and eventually had a breakdown. And, um, you know, I asked, hey, listen, God, I, there's this, it seems like there's a Satan because the occult is all tied into this pedophilia ring that's going on in the round, not just in this country, around the world. And I said, well, God, if you're real, show me you're real. Number one. Number two, what do I do with my life? I am so confused. I'm lost. I, I have no passion for poker. I have no passion for it. All my passions are gone. I'm, I'm interested in politics. I, I hate politics. I don't want to know about this. I don't want to learn about this. What is going on? And so, and then, uh, two weeks later, after I had my, I call it my breakdown, my lost moment, my soul searching moment, I happened to meet someone, uh, that was, uh, I was invited to this reality TV tour that we did around, uh, high schools and junior high schools talking to kids about bullying and, and, um, and, and the, issues with, with drug abuse and all that, that that can lead to. And this gentleman came up to me and said, Hey, you know, my name is so-and-so and and I'm, I'm here to meet you. And I said, okay, nice. I thought he was a fan. And then he said, well, it's going to sound a little strange, but actually God uses me as a messenger. And I'm here to tell you that God is real. And that, uh, and just started talking to me about certain things that I was asking in that, in that room that day, which I didn't tell a soul. It was just me and the man upstairs. And again, two weeks later, my mind was blown. Um, he started, he asked me, he said, I think you had a Holy Spirit experience. And I said, no, I never had a Holy Spirit experience. I said, well, well, I had something happen to me when I was 18 in Jerusalem and, uh, in, 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 uh, when I was on a birthright trip in Jerusalem, I had my friend and I, uh, we were on, we were on one of our last days there. We were actually standing there pretty much 
blasphemy of God. We were making fun of the people praying. And all of a sudden, standing there with my friend, kind of joking around about how everyone's praying, how silly it is, because, again, I was an atheist. And all of a sudden, bam, I was just hit my whole body. And my friend, too, we had a... It was just such a beautiful feeling. I understand now that it was the Holy Spirit. I was full with... I was filled with it. It was the most beautiful feeling. I, I heard into this sounds funny saying this years you know later when I finally realized what it was you know I, I heard this loud joyous singing I didn't understand what it was and as I'm explaining this to this uh, reality friend of mine he told me well Anna you heard into the spiritual realm you know you felt the Holy Spirit that was the Holy Spirit and you also heard into the spiritual realm you heard angels singing because it was just this beautiful joyous it felt eternal that's the way that I would describe it this, and I'm looking around by the way it sounds like thousands and thousands of a bay of beings just singing and I was looking around my friend my friend was looking around and God mirrored to me that day that it wasn't just me it wasn't just having a, some kind of weird I don't know thing that I'm experiencing but God mirrored it to me by having my friend experience it because I remember looking at him saying do you hear that and he looks at me and he says do you feel that we look at each other we're like what is that and for years we didn't understand what it was and then it was explained to me by my friend and in that moment I it, it made sense to me. That moment, I knew it was the Holy Spirit. I knew it was angels that I heard singing at the throne of God. You know, this is, you know, the Western Wall is God's last temple in Israel. And um, and I just broke down, and I repented for everything. And I said, God, I'm so sorry for everything. I'm sorry for everything. And I repented. And I felt free. And I felt clear and open-minded. And I felt, um, I just I just felt like the... All the burden was lifted off my shoulders. It was the most amazing experience. And the next day, I remember flying to my sister's house and my uh, my, my my brother-in-law's house, and um, and having and and God spoke to me that day on um, uh, on that flight for 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 a few hours actually. I, it was I thought it was well, it was really loud and my it was really loud and there was certain things, you know, what I needed to tell people. One of the biggest messages was for my brother-in-law, um, who's watching. Hope you don't. Forget what I told you. So, uh, well, what God told me to tell you wasn't me. Um, so all these, all these things, uh, there's so much stuff that, he, that God told me, messages for people, but also things that were going to happen that happened. And so there was, there was a good amount of prophecies and, 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 and it's, I didn't even need them because I already believed, but there were certain things of my personal life that would happen. It happened. Um, and just everything just fell in line. And then from then on, I have to say, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of things. I don't, I don't have much, but I am so happy, wow. beyond happy and peaceful. And just because I have a relationship with God and a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's the most amazing thing. And so that's actually the reason why I started my show was because I had a lot of uh, fans from the poker world, but specifically a lot of fans from the survivor world. Most of my fans and followers were the young, uh, were, were the youth. So, you know, not where are still. Um, you know, for the age group of seven years old to 12, 13 years old. And so, um, and, and I thought, man, they have to experience this. So I, I started a political show, which was very political, the Anna Kate show. Um, but I, my goal really was to drip drop little pieces of God for them to, um, for them to have that search and find him, uh, themselves. And so that was a real reason for my show. And a lot of people know that. But my show, as you know, has been suspended from yes. YouTube, um, which is fine because I'm going to find other alternative ways of having my show uh, back on again. But, you know, that was the real goal is to reach the youth. And so one of my other goals right now shortly is to start traveling the country and talking to the youth because I think that, you know, protests are great and 
there, there's, there's, there's ways definitely that you can, um, you know, you can inspire certain youth to question what's going on and travel the country and, you know, randomly ask them on the street. But I think that the biggest way that we can reach the youth is having alternative news shows like, you know, like the one I had, the one you guys have, but right. like Ben Shapiro has a great show that hits the youth. But I think also that another important tactic that we have to use and implement from on the right is, uh, is to is to actually travel to schools, is, is go travel across these high schools, colleges, and talk to the youth. That's how you really reach them. Ben Shapiro does a great job doing that. Milo Yiannopoulos did a great job doing that. Um, I hope he continues. I know that they have been censored and they, there have been riots, but I think that Milo has to get back on the trail and continue doing it and not let the left Antifa silence him. Um, you know, but there's some great work that these young, smart, brilliant guys are doing. And, um, and, and I think the, the youth are waking up. By the way, I have a lot of, a lot of young kids, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, that email me and that send me direct private messages and say, Hey, Anna, I'm afraid to, you know, I agree with what you're saying. I'm afraid to speak up at school. I get bullied. You know, how do I handle this? How do I talk about this point? You know, what is your advice about this? I constantly, I always get those kind of messages and that it, it, it's, it's inspiring because the youth are waking up and they're waking up not just politically, they're waking up spiritually. I also, this is the great awakening. This is what's been prophesized, you know? So it's an exciting time for sure to be alive. And it's an exciting time to really look at the youth because there really is a lot of hope in this country. And that's something that the devil doesn't want us to know. The devil wants us to be in fear and scared and, and, and a fear of Donald Trump being impeached. He's not going to be impeached as long as the country continues to pray for him. He's been prophesized to be in, in, in government for eight years as president for eight years. And so there is such hope with the youth. They're waking up. Whether it's slowly, whether it's not, but they're waking up and they are curious to know what is going on. So it is so important for alternative media like yourself to continue what you're doing because this is, this is, this is a show I've been watching for years and it's, I've, I've very thankful for it. So. Wow. What a, what a fantastic story. And you are touching a lot of young, as you said, you're touching a lot of young people. It's great to know that you've got that reach and, and, and it's great to know that the, the young, um, the, the really young, children today are are reaching out to you uh you, you're a great role model for for these children um I, I, i'm just blown away but by, by this and, and it's good to know that now uh your primary uh medium right now is just on twitter um you're in the website in the website Right. Yeah, yeah, which I have to fix up my website now that because it had links to my channel and it's no longer up, so I have to fix that. But yeah, my primary platform, my favorite platform is Twitter, for sure. I have Facebook too, but I don't really use it as much. Uh, but it is definitely Twitter. That is a way to reach me. You can always email me at Anna at AnnaKate.com if you have any questions of how do you talk to your children or whatnot. Um, I deal with a lot of parents as well, so there That's are... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful what's happening across the country. I think it's just such a, there's, there's such a message of hope because we know that the mainstream media who no longer have much of, um, influence in this country anymore, they constantly try to feed us the fact that there is no hope. And that is again the devil using those airwaves to, to brainwash the masses. And it's not at all what is happening in this country. There's a lot of great things happening and, and we just have to continue to strive for the truth. I mean, eventually, you know what it says in the Bible: everything that has been hidden will be will be exposed, and it shall for sure. It's starting to, so it will for sure. Indeed, uh, Anna Kate, when you uh, when you're out there, uh, you know, just would you please come back? Because this is I, I'm just blown away, but just by the uh, your testimony and your your experiences, um, 
Would you come back with us sometime? And, and... I'd love to come back. Okay. And I just want to make a side note that I, I, one of the, re- another big reason why I love watching your show is because you are so open to talking about God and that's, makes your show very different from the others out there. And I know there's a lot of believers watching. God bless you all. I love you guys. God bless. I'd love to come back anytime. There's plenty of things that Perfect. we need to talk about. Real quick. Yeah, yeah, we love your brother-in-law too, by the way. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Don. Yes. Yes. Oh, he's a big fan. It, it yeah. says you're currently working on a book and on a documentary. Uh, yes. When do you expect the book to be out? The book should be out by the end of this year. The okay, documentary super. is the Anastasia movie that I'm working on. It's a fantastic story, um, and it has to do with Russian communism, which we're going to try to expose years later. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely have you back on, and, and especially uh, for when your book comes out, we'll have Absolutely. you come on, and, and we'll promote it, Love and we'll talk about uh, that yeah. project. So thank you so much, Anna, for joining us. Thank you, guys. God bless. AnnaKate.com, A-N-N-A. K-H-A-I-T dot com as well as at Anna Kate on Twitter. What a great young lady. You Absolutely. Know? Absolutely. And, uh, on, wow. on a mission, uh, for well, the Lord. Story. Can't beat that. We're going to be right back after this network break. Don't go anywhere. get any better than this. Anna Kate, oh, what a great guest. What a great person. What a, just an incredible young lady. Anna Kate, AnnaKate.com. That's K-H-A-I-T. That was our last guest. Um, what an incredible story as well. Um, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, if you did not watch that last segment, please go back and watch it and spread it among the social, your social networking because a lot of young people need to be hearing what she had said. And I've got to tell you, uh, and I'm serious, I was blown away by her story. Um, just a, a tremendous young lady. And, uh, oh, wow, just so proud to have her on. And, John, I want to thank you so much, John Robertson, the producer, for uh, for arranging that. I want to, and, and also I want to thank Bill McIntosh for our next guest. That is Bill, Kurt, Bill Gertz, excuse me, Bill Gertz, I have followed his writing, uh, for a number of years. And as a matter of fact, one of his first, or one of the first books I, I purchased, uh, right after 9-11 was a book by Bill Gertz called Breakdown. And here it is right here. Okay. Just to show you that, that I've, I've, I mean, this is, this was published back in 2002 and it's still relevant today. But Bill Gertz, again, thank you, Bill McIntosh from OkasaMedia.com. But Bill Gertz is a, is a man that I've looked, I look up to. I look up to him. He's a tremendous investigative, uh, reporter. He's a tremendous writer. I mean, uh, look, I could, I could read, uh, everything that Bill Gertz writes all day long. He's got a new book out. It's I War, War and Peace in the Information Age. In fact, uh, it's linked off of our program description. But Bill Gertz, of course, is the senior editor of the Washington Free Beacon. He's uh, uh, also a contributing editor of the uh, Washington Times. Uh, he's a, just a tremendous man. His website is uh, just built. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me uh, grab this. The Gertz, just file. the Gertz file. Thank you. I didn't want to. file. I, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm like, you know. Almost starstruck. I just want to because I've read him for so long and I've and I've I've just followed his career. I didn't want to mess that up. So the Gertz file. 
Um, so bookmark that, and from there you can go to a number of different directions. Also on Amazon, uh, Bill, uh, books by Bill Gertz. Trem- again, a tremendous author. Mr. Gertz, welcome to the Hagman Report. Hi, good to be on the program. Well, it's good to have you. I mean, I mean, I gotta tell you, I've been, I just showed the audience, I've been reading, uh, your material since, well, right after 9-11. I think your book Breakdown was one of the first books I got, um, that really kind of awakened me to the issues that the United States faces and how America's intelligence failures led to 9-11. So thank you for your gracious gift of time tonight. Um, if you don't mind, let's start by talking about your new book because I, I'm really, Really, your, your book, uh, I War, War and Peace in the Information yes. Age. You, you want to tell folks about it? Yeah, this is a, uh, an important look at, uh, what I call the information age conflict that we're facing right now. Um, it's, uh, it, it came to light during the last presidential election with the Russian, uh, attempts to influence the, uh, elections. Uh, but it's something I've been tracking for a number of years, especially as it relates to China. <clears throat> uh, basically, the thesis of IWAR is that the United States is in war. Uh, we're in, it's an information war, and uh, we're not in the fight. I mean, we've basically ignored this incredible problem of foreign nations, especially the, the Russians and Chinese, <laughs> waging uh, information attacks. They include... I define information warfare as not just cyber attacks, which are essentially technical things to steal information or stuff, but also uh, content and information operations, which are, again, much more sophisticated, uh, harder to detect, and much harder to counter. Uh, and I've been uh, sounding the alarm on this, hoping that uh, the Trump administration here in Washington will uh, wake up and, and adopt some new policies to really going after these uh, uh, foreign information warfare threats. Very Okay, very well stated. And by the way, that kind of segues into something else we want to get into, and that's your interview uh, from, well, with uh, Mike Pompeo, uh, the mm-hmm. CIA, current CIA director. Uh, so, so, okay, obviously the information war, information age, the threats that we face, obviously we, we've got a, a, a some issues and we've got some uh, holes to cover. Um, is that really, I mean, it, it, on, a, on a scale from like 1 to 10, would you rank this as one of the top threats that we face? The uh, Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, because we're so connected through information. I mean, <clears throat> all you got to do is look at these handheld devices and how wed we are to them. They're, they dominate our lives. And uh, yet uh, we're facing unprecedented attacks from uh, this, this information sphere, uh, spreading false information, uh, basically trying to undermine the United States. And uh, our media normally would be uh, up to speed in countering that. But uh, my own business, the news business, has not taken the lead in trying to expose these efforts and, more importantly, getting the government to counter them. All right. Okay. And you, and by the way, you said it well, uh, too. America's at war, but we, you know, we don't really realize that, uh, this covert information warfare being waged by world powers, rogue states, Russia, China, and so on. So, okay, Joe, I didn't interrupt you. And Bill, we've heard a lot of, of different things from the possibility of the EMP threat, uh, through cybersecurity and, and, uh, targeting of our power grid, uh, to mm-hmm. the, uh, Capabilities of space wars and, and the technology uh, from China and, and other nations. Do you think that the possibility for you know, some things like the EMPs 
and uh, either from space or from uh, a cyber attack is something that's possible. Absolutely, it's the it's the new uh, military frontier. Both of those areas, the cyber realm, and especially attacks on our electrical grid and our infrastructure. Um, you know, I cover the Pentagon a lot, and I can tell you that this is uh, this is front and center in their military planning. Uh, just this week, we had a uh, testimony from the top intelligence officials, and they made cyber attacks, and they said the next conflict or even a crisis, a pre-conflict crisis, we could see uh, cyber attacks on our critical infrastructure. And, you know, we have 17 different critical infrastructures, whether it's finance, uh, transportation, but there's really one critical infrastructure, and that's the electrical grid, and it's very vulnerable. Uh, in iWar, in fact, I present a fictional scenario where the Chinese after some dust-up between the U.S. Navy and China in the South China Sea, rather than counterattacking directly against the Navy, the Chinese dispatch a covert uh, team to Pennsylvania where they uh, knock down a tree into a power line and create a cascading power failure throughout the United States. That's exactly how they do it, and they try to mask it as the result of some uh, natural disaster like a tree hitting electrical wires. Very interesting. And I want to ask you this because we've seen recently with the, from the release of this FISA memo to even just a week ago, people like Adam Schiff going on TV and talking about the influence of, of Russian bots wanting us to have in a second amendment to Russian bots influence and release the memo to the influence in the 2016 election. Uh, what are, the, you know, some of the, obviously I don't believe the, the whole Russian bots are, are everywhere uh, storyline. But what are, I mean, some of the things that we see the left throwing out there as cybersecurity threats versus real cybersecurity threats yeah. leave a lot of people confused about the, you know, what's in between there. Um, how, do you believe that the there was Russian interference into the election? And was this done by Russian yeah. bots? Was this fake news? What, what's the real story here? Yeah, the real story is that uh, for 50 years, you know, the, the argument made by the leftist narrative right now is that, uh, Russia colluded with the Trump administration to elect Trump and defeat Hillary Clinton. Uh, that's an utterly false narrative. There's really no evidence for that. But yet, this is being propagated by political uh, advisors on the left. Uh, this whole notion of collusion is, is almost a joke in my mind. The Democratic Party, for the last 50 years, has colluded with first the Soviet Union and then uh, Russia, uh, in, with appeasement policies, and now all of a sudden, because their favored candidate lost in the 2016 election, they've become super hawks, and they see Russians under every bed. Uh, it's just it's just blatant political uh, warfare, in my view. Uh, there's not a lot to it. Now, did the Russians interfere in the election? Sure. Uh, they did some uh, operations to hack into the Democratic National Committee and release the uh, uh, emails, uh, you know, you could argue that was a political operation. How much it affected the elections, I don't think it had much to do with the election. There's no evidence that they got into the voting machines. Of course, that's the whole point that they hacked the election. Uh, it was a classic uh, KGB-style influence operation to try to uh, disrupt not just the elections, but to undermine all democratic society. Uh, Vladimir Putin, he's an ex-KGB uh, operative. Uh, he has made opposition um, turning the United States into his main enemy as a central 
uh, thesis of his efforts to stay in power. And uh, that needs to be exposed. I've tried to expose that in my books and in my reporting. But again, uh, the Democratic narrative is somehow the Russians helped Trump win, and, and, and that's just false. All right. And let me, you mentioned the, uh, the hacking of the emails, the Hillary Clinton emails. Do you believe WikiLeaks did that? And do you believe WikiLeaks is a Russian, uh, or acting on, on part of the Russians when they did that? Um, well, it's clear that uh, the Russians used the several vehicles, uh, to spread what they did. This is what the intelligence community called a cyber enabled influence operation. So the first step when that, was to hack. They got into John Podesta's emails. They got into the DNC emails. <clears throat> the second step was to disseminate it, and they clearly disseminated it through a known Russian uh, website called DC Leaks. Uh, the intelligence community also has evidence that we haven't seen that part of that dissemination factor was WikiLeaks. And the director of the CIA, uh, Mike Pompeo, who, as you mentioned, I interviewed uh, last summer, um, he's convinced that WikiLeaks is operating as kind of a non-state hostile intelligence service. And uh, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange has, has openly said that he's collaborated with the Russians on a number of his operations. No, you're, you're right. And I, I haven't, I guess I haven't heard it explained like that. The narrative that we always hear on the news is that basically WikiLeaks is an arm of Russia, which, because WikiLeaks released the emails, therefore Russia released the emails, and that did uh, give it some clarification. And we do have your interview with uh, the CIA, head of the CIA, Mike Pompeo, here. And I'm about halfway through it, and it's a it's a fascinating interview. Kind of a, a question off track. What's one of the the most favorite or important interviews you've done in your career? Uh, well, actually, I think one of the most significant interviews I did was with a uh, dissident Chinese billionaire in New York whose name is Guo Wenghui, and I interviewed him uh, last summer. And to me, this guy is the most exciting thing that has happened in efforts to undermine Communist Party rule in China and promote uh, democratic reform in China uh, since the Tiananmen Massacre back in uh, 1989, when the Chinese sent troops in to put down peaceful democratic protesters. Um, and I was able to get an interview with this guy, and like I said, uh, he's worth about $28 billion. He has the resources, and he's committed to bringing about, first of all, the exposure of high-level corruption in China, and secondly, um, he wants to bring about uh, the downfall of the communist system in China, which I've argued is the central way to get rid of the China threat and replace it with a more democratic system. Very interesting. Uh, folks, we're talking with Bill Gertz, GertzFile.com. That's GertzFile.com. Uh, Many too. Yeah, absolutely. And from there, you can go to the different uh, his different uh, um, where he writes, of course, Washington uh, uh, Free Beacon and the Washington Times. Of course, Inside the Ring column, extremely popular, and IWarBook.com for his new book. Active measures is what we're seeing too. Um, I know this kind of a little bit uh, uh, popping around a little bit here, a little, but but active measures, Russian active influence, of course, always always operational. And you mentioned the Democratic Party, um, pretty pretty influenced, would you say, by Russia, Russian influence more so than, of course, the Republican Party, conservatives. 
<clears throat> well, it's an interesting uh, thing. Like you say, we, we've seen kind of a reversal on that uh, coming in with the Trump administration. <clears throat> president Trump has tried very hard since he became president and even before to try to find some reconciliation with the Russians. Um, it's not possible under the current system. We've got uh, a Russian leader in Putin who's invaded uh, several countries, including both uh, the former Soviet Republic of Georgia first and then Ukraine's Crimea and literally taken over uh, those parts of those countries. And, uh, and yet uh, the president tried to find a way to uh, reconcile relations with Russia in trying to cooperate in the battle against terrorism. Um, it's not going to work because of that. I mean, we learned uh, during the last century that uh, unchecked military aggression like that uh, ends up bad unless it is checked. And so that's that's part of the problem. On the part of the Democrats, like I said, they've had pro-Russian. Uh, I mean, I just went back through my uh, columns in the Free Beacon, and I found a story from May of 2013 where the Obama administration in order to appease the Russians who were opposing our missile defense systems being deployed in Europe, offered to share classified secrets on our missile defense programs with Russia. And, of course, the Republicans in Congress said, no way, you're not going to do that. That's, like, crazy. And But yet this is the kind of uh, uh, appeasement-oriented policies. They were, they were willing to undermine and threaten our national security by sharing secrets that we've spent, taxpayers have spent billions of dollars on developing missile defenses uh, with Moscow. Uh, and, of course, this was before Crimea and other things, but it shows you the kind of uh, mentality they had. And then we also saw Hillary Clinton with the, the reset button, trying to reset relations with Russia. And then, again, you had uh, Obama overheard on a microphone uh, telling uh, the Russian president, Medvedev, that, uh, back before his election, uh, his re-election, uh, I think it was 2014, he said, uh, he said, oh, uh, we'll, we'll make some more concessions to you on missile defense after I get re-elected. Yeah, well, more I flexibility, mean, I think is what yeah, he said, yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of policies they've had. And then, of course, when they lost the election and they blamed uh, the Russians for defeating Hillary when she was just a horrible candidate on her own. But yet that's kind of switched their narrative around. Yeah, it has. And I know we have more questions on, on the election and on, uh, the Robert Mueller investigation, which stemmed from the election and the alleged Russian collusion. But I want to ask you one more question about the, the information warfare and cybersecurity. We see this push to move our information, whether it's through the Real ID Act, everybody getting chips in their debit cards or licenses to the increase of computerized medical information, everything seems to be moving towards, you know, computerization of, of all things. Why well, why should we do that if, if the cybersecurity world is so vul- vulnerable and is, uh, is vulnerable to all these attacks? Why would it be a smart thing for us to move further uh, to computerize everything when it seems that it's chaotic uh, and, and very mm-hmm. vulnerable? And insecure. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think the problem is, as I said, this is an information age. We live, that's how we live. Everything is, be- is becoming more and more informational. Uh, whether it's, like I say, talking to you through my computer or, mm-hmm. uh, refrigerators and cars next, uh, that's the direction everything's going. So the question is, how do you secure that? Uh, really the internet, when it was created, 
was not created with security in mind, and that's the problem. It's so what you have today in the in the digital realm, in the information age, is it's kind of a lawless environment. And uh, until we figure out ways to maintain our ability to have the free exchange and free speech and free exchange of information and commerce uh, with with security, uh, we're going to be facing this problem. And it's, I'll tell you, it's going to get a lot worse because. Uh, what's really going to be the next big step is what they call uh, artificial intelligence or machine learning. Uh, and this is, uh, I, I did a report for the Free Beacon uh, several months ago uh, that was that I quoted a, a Harvard study that said that uh, artificial intelligence is advancing much more rapidly than every, anyone predicted and that it could pose an existential threat to humanity. Uh, basically what it was saying between the lines was that the robots could figure out, they, once they get control of things, they could figure out that these humans are, uh, are too slow and, and, and cumbersome that, uh, they could just do away with us. I, I thought that was pretty interesting. So that's kind of how a lot of thinkers are looking at the future of, of information technology. Yeah, and we've heard, uh, from guests like Gerald Salente yesterday and a few other people about the blockchain technology that Bitcoin uses. I just wanted to ask you, we've, we've heard a few people just in the last seven days tell us that this is the future of money, possibly even to replace the U.S. dollar and the Federal Reserve System, which I thought was kind of crazy. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, it, it, it does raise questions about uh, the, the, the use of cryptocurrencies. Like right now, you know, our money used to be backed by gold, uh, then it was not backed by anything. Right now it's not backed. It's based on, uh, trusted information systems. Uh, uh, it's not clear to me. I'm not, I'm not really up to speed on cryptocurrencies, but, uh, there is a, a, a big trend to try to use that. Uh, again, uh, the U.S., uh, would and should resist that because clearly the dollar right now is the main uh, currency around the world and the use of uh, a cryptocurrency would certainly undermine U.S. Uh, ability to do good things around the world. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, you know, we only have a few minutes left. This time has gone so quickly. Uh, I've, I've got to ask you about what we're seeing with with respect to the independent counsel, the, mm-hmm. uh, Mueller's investigation. I mean, you've been around DC so long. Um, you you know kind of what's going on. Or, uh, where do you see this? How do you see this playing out with with Mueller, <clears throat> with the uh, independent counsel investigation, the uh, creeps yeah. on the mission that Sidney Powell says. What's yeah, going on? it's oh yeah, it's uh, to me. Uh, first of all, I, like as you mentioned, I've been in Washington a long time. If there was any substance to the allegation that uh, Trump or his campaign colluded with the Russians, we would have that information. It would have leaked out. It, it's that's the kind of thing that would be so explosive uh, that it would have leaked out. In the case of Mueller, uh, we have kind of a liberal-oriented national security official who I've reported and others have reported was partly to blame for what we see as the politicization of the FBI in kind of a, a liberal leftward direction uh, since Mueller came into office around 2001. Um, and then he brought in a number of uh, liberal Democratic prosecutors and, and, and lawyers. I mean, so these people are on a hunt to go after Trump. So if there's no evidence of collusion, which is his charge, what are they going to do? Right now they're going after process crimes, that is, manufactured crimes that could range from lying to the FBI to so-called obstruction of justice, but really had nothing to do with the original purpose of the special counsel. 
Um, I think we're going to find out the results. Uh, if he had something explosive, uh, like I said, I think it would have leaked out. So uh, I'm very skeptical of the Mueller investigation at this point. Okay. Do you think, I mean, from what we've seen from the, um, my goodness, from going back to, uh, well, the beginning of the Obama administration to right through to, to the inauguration of Donald Trump, in my view, anyway, so many crime, I mean, so many things, Fast and Furious, Benghazi, uh, uh on and on and on. Are, are we going to see any justice at all prevail? Uh, that's the first question. And then the closing question Even would be. FBI agents. Well, yeah. Conspiring. To undermine Trump. Yeah, well, we'll just go with that one. Will justice prevail in this case? Um, you know, like I said, having been in Washington a long time, uh, the swamp is really deep, and uh, it's uh, you know, there's really uh, problems with the political system. Uh, Congress, uh, we've seen the deals that the backroom deals that they've made on the budget and continuing resolution. This really usurps the entire democratic system. So, you know, we have elected representatives that are supposed to, uh, 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 you know, protect Americans' interests, and they haven't been doing it. And that's why Trump was elected president. Now, that said, now that he's in power, um, he's, he's running up against this entrenched bureaucratic resistance and politics that's making it very difficult. Now, he's done a lot of good things, but I'm really hoping that this uh, important president who is just the voice of the American people in many, many ways and is just someone who has basic common sense that we haven't seen in Washington in decades, I, I'm really hopeful that he succeeds. Uh, Bill, last question here as we're, we're almost out of time. The media seems to be in a self-destructive mode from the, you know, the, the Russia collusion conspiracy narrative that they never can let go to just uh, abandoning all sense of, of morals and, uh, you know, promoting all the indecency in our society and constant lies and propaganda. Do you see them recovering from this, or will they even ever die? What, what's going on with the media? Um, yeah, there's a real politicization within the news media right now. Well, all media, not just the news media, but especially within the, the news media. And I think this was evident in the uh, Christopher Steele dossier, the bogus anti-Trump dossier done by a former uh, British intelligence officer. Uh, that dossier was, was driven by the mainstream media, the New York Times, the Washington Post, and several other media outlets that uh, – were briefed as part of the, the steel propaganda effort. And, uh, and that's why we're seeing them not cover these, uh, incredible disclosures from the House committee that, uh, the FBI hid that the fact that the steel dossier was funded by the, uh, uh, Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC. And they're not covering this major story. If it had been any other time in history or any other thing, uh, this would have been uh, a Watergate-level scandal. But yet, because there there was collusion between the Democrats uh, and the, the mainstream media in that, they're not covering it aggressively. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not optimistic uh, about the future of the, the news, the press. Well, indeed, good points all. Uh, we're, at the, we're really approaching the uh, network break. I War is the book. Gertzfile.com is the website. Bill His Gertz. latest piece is on Hagman Report. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, three down. The mercenaries killed in Syria were part of Russian-backed hybrid force. Very interesting article. Didn't even get Folks to that. Read that. No, we didn't. And that's a crazy story in itself. Bill Gertz, thank you so much for joining us. It was a great half hour. We hope to have you back on. Thank you very much. All right. Network break. We're going to be right back. Stay with us.
Welcome back to this edition of the Hagman Report. Our good friend Keith Hansen is with us and standing by. Keith is a, a, a longtime friend of the show. He's got an incredible, just a wildly popular radio show in the New England area, and uh, he's been around a lot. Keith Hansen is uh, just a tremendous guy. He's got a lot of stuff to talk about. In the wake of the shooting in Florida, of course, that's dominating the airwaves, and everyone is, my goodness, uh, you know, just latching onto that story and, and really uh, talking about issues such as you know, gun rights, Second Amendment, and all that. When in fact, this and I've said this: this is not a Second Amendment problem. This is not a law problem. This is a people problem. And included in that, of course, is the uh, the what, what the media won't talk about: the SSRIs, the drugs, and so on. So anyway, with that, I don't want to take any more time away from Keith Hansen, our guest. Keith, welcome to the Hagman Report. Hey guys, great, great to uh, talk to you again. Hey, it's great to be talked to. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we were um, we was talking with John, of course, about uh, doing a, a somewhat regular segment on your program here, and it just so happens that uh, tonight was supposed to be, you know, the the, the first scheduled in a, in a regular weekly uh, kind of uh, check in with you guys, and um, you know, it just so happens that uh, unfortunately yesterday um, everything happened, and uh, I mean, what a what a tragedy, and yet again, um, yeah. it's it's a tragedy. You know, and, here we go. Uh, here we go again. Be, here we go it's again. Be, and here we are. We're watching exploded. this be exploited. Yep. Yep. I, I didn't mean to interject. I, I just, I'm passionate about this because we are seeing so much. Uh, uh, you know what? I had to just step away from my computer uh, last night. Step away from all media because it was. Just, it, it, it's mind blowing to see these these uh, lobotomized progressive liberals just. Uh, yeah, exploit everything. I mean, it, it's. Keith, bring some sanity to this. Uh, this subject. I, I, you know, I, I wish that I could, Doug. I really wish that I could. But I mean, I think you hit. You know, you hit the nail on the head that this is. It's not a gun problem. It's not a Second Amendment issue problem. It's not a Republican problem. It's it's a it's a broken people problem. And you know, I from from the time that this started up yesterday at two thirty Eastern time yesterday afternoon, uh, you know, I myself last night at uh, about ten o'clock, um, you know, finally wound up you know, having to turn the TV off, realizing at that point that from two thirty in the afternoon until ten o'clock last night, there was no other story that was being covered. It was just nonstop coverage of this. And, 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 you know, I mean, again, I understand the media standpoint that, you know, they, they want to be first. If there's a, if there's some breaking information, they want to be the network. There's always a race to be the network that brings the, the, the breaking news to the people, to the masses. But, you know, this is one of these things that it, when, when you look at the combination of factors, I think that, that really play into this. One of, one of the things is, and, and, and we've seen this before, we talk about this as a broken person situation. These people are mentally defective. There, there's no other way to put it. And, you know, now the information is starting to come out that, that this person had made comments and, and, and left these pre-attack indicators that this was something that he wanted to do. He made comments. I, I'm going to be a professional school shooter was one of them that, that he left on social media. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm really tired of hearing the mainstream media and, you know, all the security wonks talking about, well, you know, if you see something, say something. Because let's be really honest and pragmatic about this. You have liberal, progressive Democrats who have now villainized anybody who tries to identify a person with a mental defect. 
you're being mean to this person, you're labeling this person, you're subjugating this person, you're oppressing this person. The bottom line is we have a mental health crisis in this nation, and it needs to be addressed. But people are afraid to address it because, well, what if I'm wrong? God forbid I'm wrong. What if I mislabel this person? What if I point the accusatory finger at this person and I'm off base or I'm incorrect? If you see something, say something. Well, that only works when people who actually do say something, A, are taken seriously, and B, people who identify these pre-attack indicators actually take the steps to actually report these people. And Keith, you make some some great points and uh you know they're so quick not to offend someone and so quick to worry about people's feelings and we see uh well, my problem with this whole thing was obviously the politicalization of this but the the amount of information and red flags that were out there from the kids that were interviewed after the fact saying well if we were going to bet on one person doing it this would be the guy to the youtube mm. comment that was made about being a professional school shooter and the fbi's excuse of them not being able to track it back to an account when the youtube account was active until yesterday and had it was it was the same name as the person now they have not confirmed that it is the same person but i bet a paycheck on it if i had to but mm -hmm. it just doesn't ring true to me that all these people did see something did say something and never was anything done and this kid was still able to get a gun even after as i said the fbi was was called on a youtube comment he allegedly made six months ago you'd think that they'd follow through with that especially with the history of expulsion and, and all the other things. But, and I guess here's, here's one of the big issues. Up until this point, up until yesterday at 2.20 p.m. Eastern Time, what crime had been committed? So somebody makes comments right. on, on, a, on a social media page. Well, what crime is, did he, did he direct a specific threat? Was there a credible threat to do bodily harm to a specific person? Or is it a generalized threat? Well, I think there was a bit you know, of both. And, and, that's, and, and that's one of the things. I mean, I, I'm, I'm up here in New Hampshire. We've got state representatives up here that make comments like that. I was personally involved in exposing Scott Heyman, the main state rep, who made comments about how he would make Donald Trump a half-term president if he ever got 10 feet within that, that P-U-S-S-Y. And that's a quote. That, okay. That's right. He, made, he makes the comment, but nothing happens. The, the, the Secret Service goes out and they investigate it, and what do they chalk it up to? Well, you know, this guy was just emotionally heated. He was triggered as a result of a social media conversation. Nothing to see here, folks, so let's just chalk that off. You know, but how I many had, times, I so how many times are these people who were, you know, there, there was a track history of these people inv being investigated, but that's the problem. What crime up until that point you know, but did, did this kid commit by making a statement, well, I'm going to be a professional school shooter? So he's on the radar. But that alone isn't enough to deprive a person of their constitutional due process or and to, you make to deprive them of their there. constitutional rights. Right. Because then you're getting into the thought process. There, there is a line there, and, and that's a good point that, that you brought out there. Um, you know, I mean, it, it's, right. we, we, we saw this during the 1600s. A mere accusation was enough to cause a person to now fall into the hands of the state and ultimately be executed and their property distributed. Okay, now, of course, we're, we're talking about 16th century sense of this here. But, I mean, again, if a person could, could cause a person to now become ensnared in the criminal justice system merely by making an accusation or merely by taking a written statement or uh, an, an expressed uh, statement out of context, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily a world that I would want to live in.
Because certainly sure. I say things out of anger, out of spite, maybe just to get a rise out of somebody that, you know what, well, you know, maybe somebody could really, you know, taking that out of context and to the nth degree could really make a federal case out of it. I mean, I, I don't go around threatening people. I don't, I don't make direct threats to people. I don't go around and threaten the president of the United States or elected officials. I'm smart enough to do that. I do a cost-benefit analysis on my words before I let them leave my mouth or before I put them into, you know, electronic form via social media. So I think ultimately what it boils down to is that there have to be mechanisms in place that permit people to protect themselves against people who go into public places with deadly criminal intent. And you know something? I, I, let's, let's be really pragmatic about this here. Let's talk about gun control for a sec. Okay, you and when, when you and I first met, um, when you guys did my firearms class, I was, I was based full-time in Florida. I'm an expert witness in the state of Florida in the court system on use of force and, and criminal and civil liability surrounding deadly force. I was the co-director of training for the Florida Carry, the gun rights lobbying organization for the state of Florida. I'm intimately familiar with Florida statute. That should have never happened because that school property was a gun-free zone. Guns were legally prohibited from being on that property, pursuant to Florida State Statute Chapter 790.06, Paragraph 12, Subparagraph A. That could not have happened. Oh, but wait, it did. Because gun bans don't work, and we know this. Now, you, what you're seeing right now, of course, and it, it, I mean, the, the, the smoke hadn't even cleared from the hallways before now you have liberal, progressive, Democrat politicians who are coming out to try to exploit this. Because, really, let's, let's take an honest look at this, Doug. Democrats don't want gun control. They really don't. They want victims. Because victims are literal currency to progressives and Democrats. Victims are people who can be exploited for money and, and exploited for political gain. And we see this time and time and time again. Okay. Now you make an interesting point. They want victims, but what is their ultimate objective? I mean, it, it is to enslave the population. Is it not looking at the bigger picture? What's the, what's the end? Oh, I absolutely here? believe it is. Okay. Absolutely, right. I believe it is. All right. But again, how do you, how do you get people onto your side? By promising them things, by identifying, this is cultural warfare. And cultural warfare has become an integral part of what the progressive Democrat agenda is all about. That's not conspiracy theory. It's fact. Look at look at how many we, you, we've had this we've had this very conversation in the past. Yep. How many different planes are we divided on in this country? We are divided racially, socially, economically, gay versus straight, Christian versus Muslim, white versus black, poor versus you know wealthy, the haves versus the have-nots, you know the people who work versus the people who who who, who suck off the government teeth. It's cultural warfare. Cultural warfare is absolutely critical to the Democrat Party, to the progressives. Because as long as there's cultural warfare, you can identify a group of people who you can now say, oh, whatever it is that's happening to you is solely because of other people oppressing you. And now we can pander to the victims, we can exploit them monetarily, and we can exploit them for political gain. Hmm. So, you know, in, in one breath, you've got the people that are, you've got the liberal Democrats that are screaming for gun control. But it's, it's, it's a dog and pony show. I believe it's a dog and pony show because they really don't want that. They want the control, but they're going to get the control not by banning guns. They're going to get the control by exploiting every single one of these crises. Isn't it so funny how... So what, uh, sorry to jump in there, Keith. No, 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 it's okay. Just along this, this train of thought when, you know, you have this uh, Islamic terrorism that we see over and over and over again. 
and you know Trump puts out the Muslim ban, which wasn't even a ban. They say, oh, you can't ban all Muslims. But the first thing when you have an active shooter or a mass shooting is they say, ban the guns, ban the guns. Like uh, right. the logic doesn't apply both ways there, and it, it's just it is crazy. And we saw and pointed out at the beginning of the show, Camilla Harris, one of the biggest uh, promoters of abortion, talking about you know we have to have gun right uh, gun control laws in order to save the children who are being slaughtered. But if she really cared right. so much about slaughtered children, she wouldn't be promoting abortion. Right, but then again, you have to look at these people don't look at children as 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 people. They, as as they they look at it as a cluster of cells. You know, it's a cluster of cells. It's not a. It's not a baby until it's it's born. And there's some who would say that. Well, you know what? It's not even. It's not even a, a, a true human being until it's it's self aware at two or three or four years of age. We're talking about morally bankrupt people. We're talking about people who will morph and change their political views, their social views, their ideological views, their morality to suit themselves in the furtherance of whatever goal it happens to be for them. We're talking about morally bankrupt people. We're talking about broken people. And, frankly, we're talking about intellectually impotent people. All right. And, and we are indeed. The wildly and immensely popular Keith Hansen. Uh, Keith, your home base on the Internet. Where can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me a couple of new things. I've got a, a new TV project that's launching up here in uh, New Hampshire, Vermont, and New York. Uh, it's uh, Keith Hansen TV, um, so you can check that out. And uh, the website is not quite quite developed yet, but uh, you can still check a preliminary review out at KeithHansenTV.com. Um, and uh, the best thing to do is just go to Facebook, Facebook.com slash KeithOnTheAir. Um, and I post up quite a few, not all, but uh, I, I post up quite a few of the uh, the archives for my radio show. All right. There's, so wait a minute, though. You're going to be on, you're going to have a, a, a TV program? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, that is correct. Yep. Uh, oh, starting okay. starting March twentieth, uh, it's going to be a one hour political variety show, but it's going to be a lot more intriguing and compelling than your typical dry white toast, um, you know, talking head show. So uh, some provocative interviews, and we've got some great guests lined up um, who are really what we're billing as the movers, shakers, and policymakers of the Northeast. So uh, I mean, we're we're pulling in academics, we're pulling in politicians, we're pulling in uh, you know people who are titans of their industry. Um, and it's it's not about who's left, who's right. The, the, the tagline that we have, it's not about who's right, who's left, uh, you know, who's right or who's wrong. It's about having a common sense, taking a common sense approach to maintaining the dialogue. And one of the things that I've said, and, you know, with, with my the very first time that I started out in radio back in was it 2010, I think, uh, uh, you know, one of the things I said is the reason I'm doing this is because I want to keep the conversation going. If we can continue to have an intelligent dialogue and a respectful dialogue, then there's hope. But when we can't have that dialogue anymore, and, you know, it's, it's, it's scary to say, guys, this is becoming more and more and more a fact now, where you can't even have a rational discussion with these people because these postmodernistic concepts of, well, reality is whatever it is that I perceive it to, and so how dare you challenge my perception of reality with your facts? So that's yeah, why I'm, we are I'm, kind of getting into a dangerous position here in this country. Uh, and you said it, the, the levels on which we are divided. I mean, social, economic, racial, uh, you know, religious, you name it, this country is just extremely fractured. It, it's, uh, it is kind of frightening. And I'm, I am afraid that we are losing the ability to uh, maintain a dialogue. Uh, well, you know, I, I, I hope that that's something that we have the ability to do. But, you know, one of the things that um, I've, I've spent a lot of time talking about this over the past couple of months, and we're going to be doing a, a much greater in-depth study on this, 
quite frankly, is exactly what's happening in our academic institutions. You know, when you go back in time, and you go back to the Industrial Revolution in this country, the median IQ was 120. Today, the median IQ of society, the median IQ, is 98. So if you've ever seen the movie Idiocracy, uh, the great movie, that's the, the Mike Judge movie, it's, it, it really is a foreshadowing. It's a foretelling of things to come. And, and, you know, we, we're starting to get into, you know, some, some sociological concepts like the R over K selection theory. And R over K selection theory basically is that in a nutshell, and this, this, this offends some people, but quite frankly, I don't care. People don't, people don't like it or if they're offended by it, well, then they can tune into something else. But basically, stupid people breed in larger numbers. And it's primarily because of the built-in mechanism, the survival mechanism, that people who have an intellectual deficiency have to compete for resources that aren't easily available or accessible to them. So they breed in larger numbers. Smart people don't breed as often because they have the ability to compete for resources. They have the intelligence, the wherewithal, the, the, the industriousness to go out and stake their own claim. But stupid people breed in large numbers, and that's why our median IQ in this country is going down. And so it used to be something you were proud if you were a professor, if you were an academic, a college or a university professor. You were smarter than the average person. You were intelligent. You were a person that possessed common sense. You had a framework of analysis that you could go out and you could compare and contrast competing viewpoints and, and do a cost-benefit analysis, for instance, because you had a framework of analysis that allowed you to arrive at a logical conclusion. Today, I would submit to you that the average college professor is just intelligent enough to be able to memorize and then regurgitate. There is no critical thinking. There is no framework of analysis. Interesting. And, and so and what, what's happening here is now you, you've got people who are not being taught the critical thinking skills. They're not being taught how to think for themselves. They're not being taught to compare and contrast. They're simply being told that this particular viewpoint is correct, and anything else that stands in contract to what we are telling you is correct is wrong. But what we're not equipping people to do, or not we, because I'm not included in this, the people who are now in positions as college professors and, and, and teachers are not giving kids, again, the critical thinking skills, the framework of analysis to be able to go out and decide for themselves what is truth and what is fiction, what is right and what is wrong, what is the best system for them, what is the best philosophy for them, what is the best way of life for them. Once again, those who are only intelligent enough to memorize and regurgitate can only simply regurgitate to those who aren't intelligent enough to, 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 to apply critical thinking skills to that which they're being spoon-fed. And the cycle goes on, and the cycle goes on, and the cycle right. goes on. But, but I, I would argue, and I don't know if you agree with this, but this was essentially planned. I mean, this entire erosion of our academia i mean it was was really a, a product of um well for lack of a better descriptive term a communist uh, type of philosophy mm -hmm. would you would you say that i mean it, because the, this I, I would say in, in yeah no i would say in part it is i would also say a, a big part of it has to do with the erosion of the family and the, you know, once again, the conversation that you and I have had in the past about um, what I call the Homer Simpson effect. And, you, you know, go. what I would submit to your listeners is think about how the American male is portrayed today. The American male, especially the, the father 
the man in a family is portrayed as an overweight, out-of-shape, low-intelligence buffoon who basically breaks everything he touches, creates messes, and needs his wife to be able to go in and fix everything for him and clean up his mess and straighten everything out. The man is the butt of a joke today. And I mean, this is, this is something that has been explored throughout time. Aristotle and, and Socrates looked at this. Because what they were looking at initially is, well, what are the worst forms of government? And a lot of the worst forms of government were those which involved nepotism, which involved the patriarchy. So you've got a patriarchy, and this is going back even thousands of years. You've got the patriarchies, which now you have the ruler, the king, the male, who now passes on to his posterity all of his wealth and all of his power and everything else like that. So how do you, how do you go about destroying patriarchies? Well, you eliminate the male. You know, Rousseau, Rousseau was one of the earliest founders of, of the communist thought. So Rousseau was one of the people who talked about the abolition of private property rights. Marx and Engels also looked at it, though, from the standpoint that the abolition of private property rights, but also the destruction of the family, because remember, Marx and Engels, what did they stand for? They represented the destruction of the bourgeois class. At the time, the bourgeois class, those who controlled the means of production, those who controlled the means of generating wealth. And when you look back in Marx and Engels' time, typically what would happen? You had, you had dynastic families. You had the Vanderbilts. It wasn't one person, it was the Vanderbilts. And so the Vanderbilts and their posterity inherited all of that wealth. You had the Rockefellers and these people who their posterity inherited wealth. And so what had to happen in the eyes of Marx and Engels was the destruction of private property rights, but also the destruction of the family and specifically the, 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 the pater, the, 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 the cornerstone of the patriarchy, so that way there these dynastic patriarchal clans could be broken up. And if you have the ability to break up these dynastic patriarchies, you have the ability to infiltrate and break up a society which controlled the means of production, which controlled the means of generating wealth. All right. Well stated. Hmm. Wow. All right. The, uh, the incredible amount of information. Our guest, of course, is Keith Hansen. The Keith Hansen Show. Follow Keith at Real Keith Hansen on um, Twitter and, of course, his Facebook page as well. Keith, let me ask you this. <clears throat> we see uh, Donald Trump willing to compromise on things like immigration and maybe uh, budgetary issues. We, and we hear this constant call for, uh, especially this renewed call from the left now, for you know gun control me- measures, even some on the right. Do you think that this is an issue he would ever bend on, or do you think he understands the base that he has? I, I, I would like to think, and, and I don't know the man personally. Um, I mean, I've had the privilege of, of interviewing him and, and meeting him and talking with him on a couple of occasions, but I don't truly know him as a person. I don't know his morality. I don't know his ethics. I don't know what's in his heart. That being said, I would like to think that he is a man of honor and integrity, uh, certainly a man who is intelligent enough to be able to be very hyper, hyper critical in his thought process. Um, you know, again, earlier we were just talking about framework of analysis and, and critical thinking skills. I would like to think that Trump is the type of very, very intelligent, highly intelligent, calculated person who would think about the costs, the benefits, and the de- potential downfalls of any decision that he makes. So I'd like to think that, you know, what appears, and again, I, I'd, I'd like to think, I, I, I'm not saying this is fact, but what I would like to think is that a lot of times what we per- perceive as early stage capitulation 
really is something where there's a there's a there's a much there's a much more significant yet hidden strategic reason for why that's doing it. I, I, I think personally, to be honest with you, you look at you know Schumer and Nancy and those these people are these these people are operating really at a at a marginally mentally deficient IQ. These are not smart people. So I'd like to think that Trump is smart enough to be able to toy with these people to give them what they perceive as a bone, but in the end have it actually work out in his benefit. I would like to think that he's going to stay true to his campaign promises of kicking these people the hell out of the country because they have no business being here. You know, the, today on my, my radio program, I interviewed uh, Nicholas Sarwark. Nicholas is the national chairman of the Libertarian Party. And his official standpoint, as far as illegal immigration, is that the Libertarian Party will never attach the term illegal to any person here seeking a better life. But if you're here illegally, you violated federal immigration law. If you violate a crime, you have committed an illegal act. And if you are here illegally, then yes, you are an illegal alien, and you have committed a criminal act in the process of coming to this country. So I think, you know, we need to be careful with the labels. I think we need to call it exactly what it is. And I would imagine, I would hope that Trump is, again, the man of integrity that we need to be able to look at illegal immigrants and say, we don't care. I don't, I don't care whether or not you have a dream. I, do you want it? Great. Go back home and go through the process legally. Because I know a tremendous number of immigrants who are now either legal residents or citizens of this country who did the process correctly. Good friend of mine, Nick, Nick Adams. Uh, Nick is, Nick's book, Green Card Warrior, is the only book that's ever been endorsed by a sitting president. His book was endorsed by Donald Trump uh, several weeks after Donald Trump was inaugurated. Nick is uh, hes a former Australian citizen. Came to this country, became a legal resident, became a citizen. Um, he, he tours the country talking about you know, American greatness, how wonderful this country is, and, and how many opportunities lie within our borders for people who want to come here seeking opportunity, seeking freedom, and to make the best of what this country makes available to people. But that's something that should be available to people who go through the process legally. And I would like to think, again, that Trump is going to keep his promise, number one, to drain the swamp, and number two, to protect American citizens from illegal aliens. I, I agree. But, Keith, can... Okay. Wow, we talk about this all the time. Can the swamp be drained? I mean, we're talking about a huge swamp and a huge job can one man one guy donald trump uh working in concert with his team can can the swamp be drained or are we just peeing in the ocean here well i mean unless you have other other republicans who are who are willing to get on board with this plan i i think yeah i think we are peeing in the ocean <clears throat> and i think it's a little bit different coming in the standpoint of being a chief executive officer of a of a major corporation and coming in as president of the united states as, as chief executive officer a lot of times the power rests with you and square, squarely with you uh, if, if we had a system of government like that where the president could do whatever it is that that he or she wanted to do then we're living in a dictatorship and again that's not right. the kind of nation that I would want to live in. I right, like exactly. living in a representative re representative constitutional republic. You know, I, I don't want to live in a democracy. I don't want mob rule, and I certainly don't want to live in a in a uh, in a dictatorship where one person can, at their whim, do whatever it is that they want to do. And let's not forget, that's exactly how DACA came into being. This was an that's executive true. action by Barack Obama 
which was neither legal nor constitutional. But now you've got two activist judges. Yesterday, not yesterday, the day before, you've got another federal court judge in New York who stands up and says, no, 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 you know, this abolition of DACA is now illegal. No, the abolition of DACA is not illegal. The institution of DACA, which was unconstitutional and illegal, is illegal. And we see this all the time. Presidents come in. When presidents come in, they undo executive actions or they'll do another executive action to negate or nullify a previous executive action. This happens all the time. But again, going back to the whole victimology thing, Democrats and progressives don't want these people to leave the country because as long as these dreamers are here, well, now we've got a whole bunch of people that we can now pander to. And we saw that with the leak of the Jennifer Palmieri memo, who said that, you know, the dreamers and the illegal immigrants are absolutely critical to the success of the Democrat Party moving into the future. So we understand this. And this is something that we all understood. You know, some of us were called conspiracy theorists or labeled whack jobs or right-wing nuts because we turned around and said this. But then <laughs> Jennifer Balmieri's memo comes out, and it certainly vindicates all of us because it says exactly what we've been parroting ever since this whole issue came up. And it hasn't always necessarily been a Democrat thing. I mean, you saw talk of amnesty back when Bush was president. So and you're, you're looking at with, with amnesty there, you're, you're, whoever winds up getting amnesty passed, they can chalk up an extra 10 to 12 million votes in their, in their column, or at least that's the perception. Because they're going to turn around and they're going to say to the illegals, look what we did for you. See how big-hearted we are? See how humanitarian we are? Look what we did for you. Vote for us, and the entitlements will keep coming. Yeah, But, but it's not all about votes, though, Keith. I, I mean, it, it's a cultural uh, attack on our culture, our, our society, right? I mean, I, I get, I get the oh, extra ten or twelve million votes. I get that, but it, it's deeper than that, isn't it? Well, I think it is too, because yes, it, it, number one, it destroys our society. <clears throat> number two, those who are coming here illegally. Again, when you look at a at a at a distributive map of global IQ medians, what do you find? You find that oftentimes the people that are that are that are coming here illegally, they don't have the ability, intellectually or otherwise, to be able to make it on their own in their home countries. So what do they do? They migrate here because this is perceived as the path of least resistance to them getting their basic needs met. And anybody who you want to talk about basic needs, I would suggest that all of your listeners go out and familiarize themselves with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So those basic needs that you need to keep yourself alive, if you can neither compete nor find nor have access to those in your home country, and you don't have the ability to compete mentally, physically, or otherwise for those, then you have two choices. Die or migrate to the area that you perceive to be the path of least resistance to you getting your basic needs met. Which is one of the reasons why when we have people who are coming into this country, we are asking people... What is it that you bring to the table? What is the skill that you have? How are you going to contribute to society? It's not, well, how is society going to cater and pander to you? It's what do you have that you can use to make a contribution to society? And, you know, let's not forget, 1945 to 19, what was it, 59 or 60, we had no immigration in this country. We shut the immigration off in this country. So that way there are those who had immigrated, had an opportunity to assimilate into the fabric and the culture of this country. But what happens is you have people that want to come here and bring there here. The problem with that is you cannot bring there here 
without here eventually becoming there. That's a good point. And we're losing our society. We're losing our culture. We're losing all of this because, you know, in, in many instances, you have people who are turning areas of this country into, into a third world country. Our, our, our resources are being depleted. You have more and more people that are competing for limited resources. You have people that don't want to work. You have people that want to come to this country and get a handout. That's not what this country is about. That's not what the opportunities are. And I, right, and I think I, right. I'm a hundred percent supportive. I, I think if, if people want to come here and they want to take advantage of all of the wonderful opportunities that make the United States of America such a wonder and have made the United States of America such a wonderful place, then do it legally. And you know something? That means that some people don't get in. And you know something? I'm okay with that too. Because we have an obligation to take care of Americans. We have an obligation to take care of people who are born in this country or who have legally emigrated to this country and who are here as legal residents or who have become citizens of this country. But we do not have an obligation to the citizens of Mexico or the citizens of Haiti or El Salvador or Peru or Colombia or any other nation outside of our own borders. Now, now you're going to be accused of to protect you're be, us first. Right. Yeah, and now you're, of course, they're going to be accused of being a nationalist. Um, well, you know something then, because, because here's, here's the thing. When we look at Graham's hierarchy of disagreement, the intellectually impotent people have to go for the low-hanging fruit on Graham's hierarchy. So what do they do? They name-call, they engage in ad hominem yep. attacks, and they tone-respond because they don't have the critical thinking skills, the intelligence, or the framework of analysis to articulately and intelligently debate me on what I'm talking about. True. Okay. So what do they have this- to do? If, if, I can't, if I can't outthink you, if I can't out-intellectualize you, if I can't even engage in a rational, fact-based discussion with you, what do I do? Ah, oh, you're a nationalist. Oh, okay. Well, that's great. But I'm not about to fall into that trap of now trying to defend myself against that, thus giving up on the original argument and seeding the argument. That doesn't work. I don't, I don't fall prey to that. And I learned that very early on doing talk radio. It's the sin factor. Shift, ignore, and name call. Shift the argument, ignore the facts, and when all else fails, throw out the good old faithful, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're a bigot, you're a nationalist, you're a Nazi, you're a fascist, you're whatever it is. I've been called every name in the book. And you know something? I learned very early on doing conservative talk radio. I don't take any of this personally. Believe me, if I did, I would have eaten a bullet years ago. <laughs> very very well stated. And, and this is a... A different time in, in history, unlike any other with this type of, of argument and sentiment, because the media and the establishment, Hollywood entertainment, the media and, and many of the establishment are promoting, uh, this same talking line, uh, as you're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, the, they're, they're promoting the, the mass immigration, they're promoting the, you know, the gun, uh, gun control, they're promoting all these, uh, really new world order ideas. And then turning around and name calling and doing all these things because they have lost the argument. They don't have anything left, as you said, other than uh, you know their their own name twisted calling. ideology yeah. and their name calling. And they can't mm-hmm. win the arguments based on ideas. And they don't have any new ideas. And this is one of the big problems with the Democratic Party now. They're so busy and, and so stuck on you know opposing Trump that they have absolutely nothing to offer as, as far as solutions to the American people. So I don't know how they'll succeed. But the media that we see today, I mean. Are they ever going to self-destruct? It seems like they're self-destructing right before our eyes, but they never go off the air. They're never, uh, they have endless money, it seems. We were talking earlier about CNN paying 
millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, probably tens of millions of dollars, to have their own their own program broadcast in, in over sixty airports. Yeah. But the media yeah. mm-hmm. is fanning these flames, and how much responsibility do you put on them for some of the, the violence and things we've seen uh, from the shootings to you know this this Antifa stuff that we saw earlier in the year and the breakdown of our society? Well, I, I think there's I think there's some tacit guilt there. I think there's some some passive guilt, um, certainly by a, a failure to condemn this. But I mean, you know, let's let's look at it from, you know, let's look at it from the standpoint of of what their motivation is. I think a lot of it their their motivation is that first of all, they they never they, they, this go, this goes back to that that phrase that I never use, but I just love the sound of it. It's just so delicious. The Trump derangement syndrome. You have people out there today that still to this day cannot come to terms with the fact that Hillary lost and Donald Trump won. Now, Hillary Clinton winning the presidential election was a foredrawn conclusion to many of those people. So what did they do? They kissed up to her because the belief was was that as long as we as long as we are seen as a strong advocate of her, when she gets into power, she is going to reward our allegiance to her. Okay. I think that's ultimately that's, what it boils down to. Well, now it, it, when you look at the Hollywood crowd, I mean, I, I, and again, I, I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist, but you know, if a psychiatrist wants to call me up and debate this, I'm more than happy to have the debate with them because I typically win when I debate them on this. But when you look at people, the Hollywood people especially, okay, let's let's get back into Maslow's hierarchy. Okay, a big part of why people, and you know, I'm going to draw a comparison here. I'm not going off on a tangent, but I want to use this as an example. You know, the opioid crisis, for instance. Why are opioids ravaging this country in record numbers? Well, I think a lot of it is because people don't have a sense of purpose. And when people don't have a sense of purpose, when they don't have a reason for getting up in the morning and going to work, when they don't have a reason to get up and actually do something because their life is meaningless, because their life has no impact or positive benefit to anybody else, that's that's part of self-actualization. I know right. that what I do makes a huge difference in the lives of people every single day. So I get up feeling good about myself. I feel very positive because I know I am fulfilling a greater purpose. But when you don't have that, you're still desiring it. It is a human need. So what do we do? Well, now we self-medicate because we're looking for that euphoria that comes from helping people and being productive and self-actualizing. Only there's some people who, again, because they can't achieve that, through their own hard work and perseverance and everything else, now they self-medicate and they try to get that through a chemical means. Now you have Hollywood, for instance. What does Hollywood do? Nothing. Nothing. They have no positive impact on anybody except for taking somebody's mind off of the, the harsh truths of reality for 90 minutes or 120 minutes. So is it any wonder that these people, in a desire to try to self-actualize, to try to actually bring some purpose and meaning to their life, just get into whatever feel-good social movement or social trend that happens to be coming along? Oh, Leonardo DiCaprio's on the on the you know the climate change green movement because it, it it gives him something to do and he feels as though he's working towards a greater purpose and he achieves some type of real-world self-actualization from that expenditure of energy and effort and, and, and tenacity. But in the green scheme of things, he's, he's not looking at it from a critical thinking standpoint. He certainly doesn't have a framework of analysis to determine whether or not what he's actually pursuing is truth or fiction. All he knows is, hey, I feel good about it, and there's people who just gobble up everything that I regurgitate, so it must be a good thing because people are gobbling it up. I feel good about myself. That continues to self-perpetuate. 
But I mean, I, I think it's really ironic when you look at this whole Me Too movement. You get all these people that are talking, geez, you know something? I've never raped anybody. I've never sexually assaulted anybody. The Me Too movement has nothing to do with me. The Me Too movement has everything to do with Hollywood. So I don't need Hollywood producers or movie stars or anybody else like that lecturing me about Me Too. Clean up your own house. And your house is a cesspool, morally bankrupt. And once again, it boils down to people's choices. You and I have talked so many times about personal responsibility and choices. These people who are now coming out and saying, I was raped 25 years ago. You made a conscious decision. You did a cost-benefit analysis. You sat down and said, if I turn Harvey Weinstein in, I'm not going to get another Hollywood paycheck. I'm going to be blacklisted. So I'm going to sit down, I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to keep mum about this because I want that multi-million dollar paycheck to keep coming in. And, and let's, let's be pragmatic about this. The casting couch, that's the butt of jokes. People for decades have joked about how if you want to go to Hollywood and be successful, you're going to wind up on somebody's couch. It was a foredrawn conclusion. But once again, now we see another source of political capital and money through the identification and exploitation of yet another group of victims. Hmm. Same script, just different players, different uh, actors. You, you know, as, as, as human beings, our brains are wired to identify and seek out trends and patterns. So when and again you just said you know same same That's exact true. mindset same exact scheme it's when you when you look at this this is a similar pattern that is playing out across a multitude of socioeconomic demographic categories so again the trend is there the pattern is there if you know what to look for it really becomes obvious it becomes glaringly obvious because these trends these patterns are crystal clear and this does not bode well for our current society basically no, I, to, to be honest with you, can we, yeah. can we recover this? No, I don't think so. I don't think we can. I think all we can do is kind of make the best of it right now, but I, I, I don't see our society surviving this. This is, this is, this is way too ingrained. Yeah, I mean, not I, unless I, there's I some serious waking up, but the problem is, is that you, you've got a big generation. You know, you've got these, these people that are 16, 17, 18 years old, up until these people who are the 30s, you know, the, the millennial crowds now. That they're 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 getting out, they're getting into the workplace, they're 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 becoming policymakers and decision makers. You know, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's, you know, you always have the kids that rebel. I don't know. Maybe at some point in time, some you know, there's going to be a wave. There's going to be a generation where 15 and 16 year old kids start rebelling against their parents and start saying, you know, screw you, mom and dad. Marriage is between a man and a woman, and if you're born with a penis, you're a man and you can't change that. Screw you, mom and dad. I'm going to go get a job. That would be that would yeah. be beautiful. Keith Hansen on fire tonight, boy! I'll tell you, all the way from uh, Maslow's Maslow's hierarchy of needs to uh, yeah to, but, but you know, uh, wow, uh, so much to talk about. I thought about that too, Keith. Like, uh, when yeah. is Christianity going to become cool again? Because it's being so marginalized and demonized now. Usually, that's the trend when something becomes mm -hmm. that marginalized that it it becomes popular again. And it, it's funny to think that. But about the Me Too movement, you're. You're exactly right. These are the same people in Hollywood who are trying to lecture other people like Oprah. Uh, and, and, you know, she was he held up at some award show for speaking out about it. But she was a, an enabler of Harvey Weinstein. And she, uh, you know, talked about how there was you know, names that were never named. And she's part, the biggest part of the problem. All these people, from the people who were, uh, you know, accusing people now from, from things 5, 10, 15 years ago to those who knew about all these these things and knew who the, the people were who were, 
uh, more likely than others to commit sexual assault. Everybody kept their mouth shut about this. Mm-hmm. So nobody from that industry has any right to say mm-hmm. anything about this to the American people. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely lecture. correct. You're absolutely correct. And you know something? I love Oprah because, I mean, not literally, but I, I, I love Oprah as, a, as an example. Because look at how many people are, are now trying to get Oprah to, to run for president. Yeah. Okay? Let's, let's, let's look at the very basic facts and compare and contrast Oprah Winfrey and Donald Trump. Oprah Winfrey is a, tele, is a reality television star who got rich and famous giving people free crap. Donald Trump is a reality television star who, gave, who got famous making people compete for high-paying quality jobs. I, 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 need, I need to say nothing more. I, I was going to say I, that that pretty much says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. Hmm. You get a car, and you get a car, and you get a car. Oh, yeah, but you know something? About 15% of the people who actually got that free car when she gave everybody a free car, only 15% were able to keep them because everybody who wound up getting that air fingers quote free car owed the federal government $7,300 in taxes, and most yep. people couldn't, so they had the choice. They could either keep the car and pay the $7,000 in taxes, or they could just forego the car. There was only about 15% of that studio audience who actually was able to pay the $7,300 in taxes to get that car, because it wasn't given away as a gift. It was given as a promotional item, so they still owed taxes on that. So even that was a scam. A little known secret, boy. Uh, my my dreams are shattered now. Uh, I was, you know... <laughs> Oh my! Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's how the Price is Right works. You know, you win all these prizes on there, but you you only actually win them if you can pay the taxes. Well, right. Mm-hmm. My your supply of rice aroni. I'm still waiting for that. But uh, yeah. all right. But wow. uh, you know, getting getting back to the whole uh, getting back to the whole school shooting thing. You know, this is uh, you know this is you're you're seeing the posturing, and you know nothing's going to change. Um, you know, we're not going to have we're not going to have a ban on AR-15s. I mean, at least not now. I, I would, to be honest with you, I think if it were Hillary Clinton who were in the White House right now, um, I think the first thing that you would see is an absolute evisceration of the Fourth Amendment followed by the Second Amendment. Those would be the two things that would go. And I would imagine by probably the middle portion of her first term in office, you would see the Fourth Amendment gone and the Second Amendment gone because those would be the two things that are that are most important. But uh, you know, I mean, given the fact that Trump is in office, I I, I don't see anything happen. You know, we, we're not having rushes on AR-15s. You know, we're not having thousand-dollar cases of two-two-three or or five-five-six uh, ammunition. You know, it's going to continue to happen. As a matter of fact, not, not next week, week after next. I'm down in Georgia. I've got to recertify for. Uh, going to go for another week for yet another uh, federal counterterrorism and active shooter response uh, instructor certification that I maintain. And we're going to be talking about this. And of course, you know, the narrative is now changing because the landscape of the active shooter situation is changing. You know, Las Vegas, of course, now with an elevated position. We talked about this on, on your show. You know, we haven't seen a person taking an elevated position for a mass shooting, a mass casualty incident since Charles Whitman. Uh, you know, in Texas. And so this is kind of a game changer. But exactly as we saw this individual state, I'm going to be a professional school shooter. I'm going to do what he did. The more that the media continues to put emphasis on these mass killings, the more it now stirs up the sentiments in other mentally unstable people to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to go and, but this time I'm going to do it better. I'm going to do it bigger. I'm going to kill more people. That's the mentality of this. So it's going to continue. What we need to do is we need to abolish gun-free zones. We need to respect the Second Amendment. And we need to enable people to protect themselves in places where typically people have been disarmed 
And there's a reason why you see a lot of shootings in schools, because younger victims, they're not going to have firearms. It's basically a large collection of able and willing victims in those locations. Our, our bat phone is ringing. The women from The View are on wanting to uh, talk with you. I, I, no. My goodness. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> any, any, any day I will, I will, uh, I'll sit down and uh, have a cup of coffee with Joy Behar. She won't like the conversation, <laughs> but I'll have the conversation with her. Um, yeah, I, I can, you know, I, I would, I would pay, I would buy tickets to see that, uh, that little meeting of minds, but uh, all right. <laughs> well. I, I, I suspect that it would be, uh, you know, what it would be. Oh, you're not, you're not big enough or important enough of a media person to ever talk to me. That's that's what that would be chalked up to. So you know, that's, funny, that's the, typically uh, what that's typically yeah. what uh, what, the, what the liberal response is. Oh, well, you know, I'm too important to sit and talk to somebody like you. Oh, okay. Well, seems like if you were right and I were wrong, you'd be itching for the opportunity to put me in my place in front of my own studio base or my own listener base. But um, you know, they they never do. <laughs> Now, Joy Bayer made the uh, news this week talking about Mike Pence's Christianity and saying it was dangerous if he hears from Jesus and uh, tie Joy Bayer and, and Oprah all back together again. On the Drudge Report today, I saw an article. Um, Oprah was being bugged by her friends about a 2020 run, and she said, well, God hasn't told me to do this yet. Uh, God has not told me to run. I wonder what Joy Bear has to say about I wonder her friend which God Oprah. she's talking about, though. <laughs> yeah, but it's just uh, the attacks on Christianity, the attacks on on uh, the Constitution, on common sense in general, morality in general, by the media has to stop. And it's not only that; it's the uh, we have to find a way to to try to reach, if it's even possible, the percentage of the mm-hmm. population who believes in just the wholesale in the media lies, because that's where the real change will come if we find a way to. Uh, cross that bridge. Well, again, I mean that ties into this, you know, this this sociological concept of postmodernism, where reality is simply what, reality is what I perceive it to be and choose it to be. And so, how dare you try to contradict or question my perception of reality because my perception is real and it, it's not yours. And and so. This is this is another one of the reasons why I believe that that liberal progressive Democrats hate religion is because it establishes a very very finite guide to living your life. It establishes morality. It establishes ethics. It establishes a sense of right or wrong. It, it you, you 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 can't exactly argue the benefits or merits of postmodernism, but then turn around and talk about religion and morality and 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 living a good positive life in in the context of the the boundaries of Christianity. That's why they hate it, because, well, it's not flexible. What's right is right, and what's wrong is wrong. But, you know, when you're one of these subscribers, adherents to these postmodernistic concepts, well, you know, your sense of right or wrong is simply, you know, it's malleable. It's whatever I say it is. It's based upon what my perception of reality says reality really is. It goes back to... uh uh, Plato's uh, allegory of the cave. That's you know, true. What was what was a perception of reality suddenly now has been challenged, and when that perception of reality gets challenged, the response is is typically very violent. The shadows people on don't it, like having their perceptions of reality challenged. Exactly. D- didn't uh, didn't Obama wasn't he pictured? I I I, I and help me with this. Um, he, he, I think he was boarding Air Force One or deplaning from Air Force One, and and someone took a picture of his uh, what he, a book he was carrying. Wasn't it Postmodern America or, or something? Uh, since we're talking about postmodernism, I, I'm just I I, I can't remember. But it, yeah, I, I remember that. I remember the book, and I don't know if that was I don't know if that was actually vetted to be truthful okay. or not. I, I don't know if it was. I mean, it right. could have very easily been something that was photoshopped. I, I, yeah, I don't know, but. 
Um, but again, I mean, you know, I, I would certainly expect something like that out of Obama uh, more so than I would expect that from uh, some somebody out of Trump's camp. I mean, just just simply because, again, you know, I mean, you don't you you don't achieve what Donald Trump has achieved in the private sector business world by having a malleable perception of reality. Hmm. Very well stated. Now, we only have a few minutes left, Keith. Um, where can people find you? Uh, obviously, uh, Keith Hansen, at Real Keith Hansen, but uh, Keith uh, on the air. Uh, where can people listen to you? I know we got people all across the world right now listening to this broadcast. Obviously, they're going to want to hear more. They're going to want to hear more from you tomorrow. Where can people tune in? All right. Well, they can tune in to, uh, I, I do uh, four hours per day. Uh, six to nine. Six to nine is kind of more of like a community-oriented radio show. There's some politics in the six to seven hour. The seven to nine hour is pretty, you know, community-oriented, that kind of stuff. So we really don't dive too, too much into the politics. And then the nine to ten hour is just a, is just a solid block of political analysis and commentary. Um, we stream that online. WNTK.com is the radio station. Again, WNTK.com. Um, Twitter feed is at Real Keith Hansen. That's at Real Keith Hansen. And, of course, Facebook, uh, which is where I post a lot of the archives, is uh, is facebook.com forward slash uh, Keith on the air. And then, of course, you can also check out uh, on Facebook as well, too. It's relatively new, but it's uh, Keith Hansen TV uh, is the uh, the Facebook page, and also Keith Hansen.tv um, on the web as well. And, and you said that you're going to, that's going to premiere March in March? Uh, March uh, yep, we're doing, the, uh, we're doing the premiere filming. We're filming the um, all day on March 13th, which is a Tuesday. And then it's going to, uh, goes into uh, post-production and then we'll be broadcasting. It's a weekly show, like I said, for one hour. And that's going to be broadcasting on uh, the first, the premiere episode is going to be on, uh, let's see, what is it? Uh, th- uh, Tuesday, March 20th. Okay, and, um, and you're going to so, be joining us as well too. I, I just want to make make it clear to people you're going to be joining us on, on, a, on a regular basis as well. Regular basis. Uh, I believe we had set it up for uh, Thursday nights at nine o'clock. So I'll Perfect. be joining your regular cast of characters on Thursday night, which is always fun. And you know, I got to be honest. I mean, we always have a good conversation. I feel like you know we can we can kind of push the boundaries into some speculative stuff, but we always have fun. And, and that's the most important thing. And again, you know, I present, I'm, I'm very, very, very strong in what my belief structure is. And I present things that are challenging to people sometimes. What I would encourage people to do is to do their own research. Take what I've said, take the information that I bring to people, and use that as a starting block to do your own research. The most important thing that you can have, especially if you want to be involved in political discussions, is to arm yourself with education. Arm yourself with, and I don't mean education from a formal standpoint, because I'm not an education snob. I'm, what I mean is educate yourself. Get brushed up. Don't just take one source. Look at a variety of different sources. Arrive at a, at a, at a, at a, at a basis where critical thinking has brought you. Develop a good, solid framework of analysis. Take your framework of analysis, combine that with your own morals, your own ethics, your own sense of right or wrong, and 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 stand strong in your convictions, whatever your convictions happen to be. I'll tell you what, uh, what, what an incredible hour. You do four hours of radio a day, and now this, uh, you are a machine. You're on fire tonight, boy. I'll tell you, it's uh, tremendous. A lot of great stuff, a lot of stuff um I'm sure people are have listened to this and said, you know what? He's saying exactly what I'm thinking. I'm going to go back and re-listen to this. Absolutely. Put it up on YouTube. So, Keith, thank you so much. It was great having you. Ter- terrific insight. And we really yeah. appreciate your time. 
Doug and Joe, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me for the past hour, and uh, look forward to doing it again next Thursday. Absolutely, my friend. Thank you very much. My pleasure. All God right, bless folks. you guys. God bless you. And and really, uh, look, tune into Keith Hansen. Just go. Yeah. In fact, on our program description, there'll be a link to uh, WNTK. And but, the, uh, on, on the website that Eric had up, there's links to SoundCloud and iTunes yeah. and all the uh, podcast uh, capabilities and applications, so you can easily find it there. want to just uh, close out the show with this. There's been a lot of confusing reports about the the school shooter yesterday being tied to a white nationalist group oh, that it came man. out that he's not tied. It looks like some people played a prank on the news or was trolling the news as the uh, Tallahassee Democrat said, local law enforcement sources have so far not found any connection between accused Parkland school shooter and the Tallahassee-based paramilitary group. And apparently uh, three former classmates who ABC used as sources are going around saying that they conned ABC News as part of a prank. And I don't know. I know that's not where the rumor originated from. Also, the leader of this group made some weird claims that this guy was associated with them. But all of that turns out not to be true. But why did this come up in the first place? This is what I want to know. Was it some hoax or prank to try to get attention to this group? Or, or what's going on here? There's obviously some... Or, or is this a, a democratic conspiracy trying to label the shooter as a white supremacist? Well, you know what? I, I wouldn't. I, put, I, I would not put anything. It's past. a weird story. This whole thing is is just ever since Las Vegas. Well, even before that, but Las Vegas, uh, no answers on Las Vegas. We, we're going into this shooting now. Um, in the weird news that you talked about, you just have to be careful who you listen to. What you know, the sources, and as Keith said, critical thinking. You know. Mm-hmm. We can be open-minded, but not so open-minded that our brains actually, you know, pour out of our skulls. I mean, that's just not not right. So, um, wow, yeah, it went an incredible week of news already. Um, mm. All right. Yeah, it and, was. And I want to thank John for uh, setting up a great show today, and Joe, thanks for uh, handling the uh, uh, the bulk of the work today. And of course, Eric, the tech, does a great job as always. And thank thank you, Bill McIntosh from Acosta Media. Uh, by the way, his son has has made it to the mainland, and of course, preparing to be awesome. uh, yeah in the military. So, uh, thanks to you and and uh, for supporting him. But Bill McIntosh, Acosta Media. Thanks to Bill Gertz, Anna Kate. Oh my goodness, what a great what a great interview! And of course, Keith Hansen. And uh, it's uh, it's all good. And of course, Brandon House. The first segment. So, if you didn't catch all of that, the full show, you'll you'll be seeing this uh, on YouTube. All right. Have a great night, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow for our Friday show. Absolutely. As this week hey, has gone nine, by so fast. Nine o'clock. Doug Hagman radio show, and two to three, Joe and John, and then flagship show. Yep. A great evening, everyone.